Do you know who this belonged to? No. That very question was what started the War of the Five Kings. In a way, that dagger made you what you are today. Forced from your home. Driven out to the wilds beyond the wall. I imagine you've seen things most men wouldn't believe. Go through all of that and make your way home again only to find such chaos in the world. I can only imagine. Chaos is a ladder. Mount your dragons and draw your swords. It's Game of Microphones with Sir Duncan the Fearsome and Lady Rachel of House Fox. Seven blessings, Lannister troops and Dothraki screamers, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, the Fist of Justice. And I'm Lady Rachel of House Fox, wielder of the Spear of Influence. (laughs) And this is episode 106. On this episode of our series rewatch, we're covering Game of Thrones, season 7, episode 4, The Spoils of War. <laughs> and in case you're not already aware, this series rewatches from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen up through season seven. If not, there's still time to be flash incinerated by a raging dragon swooping from the skies, so you don't have to hear these spoilers. Warning. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Holy shit. So this is my second favorite episode second of the favorite. series. I think I watching <laughs> it so close to Winds of Winter. I think Winds oh, of Winter takes it for me. Overcame but this it. is such a close second. It's really hard for me to pick between the two. Yeah, I feel you. Winds of Winter is such a great episode too. But this one is amazing. It's what the best battle scene on planet Earth in <laughs> Planet Toast. And it's really the first time that we have two principal characters going at each other on opposite sides of the battlefield. Oh man, that's true. That's pretty insane. And it's kind of like hard to want either one of them to succeed or fail. Right, right, right. Like you're, I've come you don't to want, love Jamie, you right, know? Yeah. And Bronn's with him and you don't want Drogon to kill Bronn, but you also don't want Bronn to kill Drogon. And it's like, oh man. And you don't want Jamie to kill Danny and you don't want Drogon to kill Jamie. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's really, it's so intense. I mean, and is oh, that what made God. this, is that what makes this battle stick out to you? Is that there's the, the major characters fighting against each other? That, and it's like a medieval battle with, like an F-16 oh, included. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, I remember it, hearing you that You know, it's like, before. it changes the game. And I love, I think they talk about that on, after the the episode in the HBO, if you watch it on HBO. Right, yeah, um, I know I've heard that before. 
for sure. Yeah, I, I noted that when I watched it t- today that they said that and I thought that that was such a perfect representation. And I like how they just decided to play with it. Like, how would an F-16 fighter jet interact in a medieval battle? Right, what would right. that look like? Oh, man, it was so cool. <laughs> so cool. And it looks pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. Pretty fucking so, awesome. yeah. Nice. Do you want to start with your number five? Sure. Yeah, might as well, right? My number five is Littlefinger and Bran. Oh, nice. Okay, I think this is... Oh, this is my number four. I found it. Nice. There we go. So let's collab. Yeah. So we learned that basically Littlefinger is scheming to try to get into Bran's good graces, probably because he thinks that he's Lord of Winterfell at this point, right? That's what I was thinking, because why would Littlefinger give him a dagger? Yeah. And Sansa asked this question, but I was curious what you thought was his ulterior motive into trying to get on Bran's good side. Well, I think he was giving him the dagger because it has particular like meaning for Bran, considering that's the dagger that was used um, to try to kill him. So I think it has like um, personal significance t- to Bran, and like it's like having the it's like a trophy from the from the like your enemy you know what i mean like you like taking a scalp or something like that having your your enemy's weapon delivered mm-hmm. to you um it's kind of like a, a cool gesture that under different circumstances would mean a lot like if brand didn't know everything <laughs> about baelish it may have been like a really nice gesture that could have got him really like nicely in brand's good graces that's true so, um, yeah, pretty interesting. Littlefinger is trying to schmoo- schmooze with Bran, but he just has no idea what he's getting himself into. <laughs> he would have been um, better off to just keep himself far Stay and far away, away. Yeah, out of Bran's mind because uh, <laughs> his proximity and his interest almost certainly resulted in Bran reviewing his timeline, basically, you could say. Absolutely. So um, Bran's chilling in his wheelchair, which Mira notices in a little bit. We'll talk about that. Uh, which is kind of cool. But Baelish is sitting there with him and Baelish pulls out the cat's paw dagger, the black dragon bone hilt and the Valyrian steel blade. And he's it's showing it to It's such a cool Bran. dagger. Yeah, I love it so oh, much. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty badass. And he's kind of like flipping it around in his hand and and uh, he says, this is for you and gives it to Bran. And, and Bran picks it up and starts looking at it. And as he's holding it, Baelish is t- telling him about the significance of the dagger. Um, you know, that this is the dagger that the, the assassin tried to use to kill him. And he talks about Catelyn and the other dagger that killed her and how he would have stopped it with his own heart if he could have. But he wasn't there for her when she needed him most. Um, which I thought was like kind of fucked up. Like that's something that like your family would say, you know what I mean? But Littlefinger was never at Winterfell or like never part of Cat's life. So there's no reason that he would have been there at all. So it's kind of weird for him to say this to Bran. Um, I thought at least. Yeah, I did too. So he's like, but I'm here for her now to do what she would have done to protect her children. <laughs> like such a weirdo. <laughs> Why would you like assume this role for yourself? It's just so bizarre. Like it's, it's something is off, you know what I mean? And so he's like, if you need anything, Brandon, all you need to do is ask. And Bran asks him, do you know who this dagger belonged to? And that's a very interesting question because we were speculating about that a couple episodes weren't, ago, weren't we? Yes, we were. Absolutely. Right. So considering that we saw a page in that book that was detailing Dragonstone, a page like right before that detailing this dagger, 
I think it's safe to guess that this was some type of ancestral Targaryen blade. And I wonder how Littlefinger got a hold of it. Yeah. Well, he, he, you know, he worked at the Capitol for years and the, the Targaryens lived at the Capitol, a lot of them for centuries. So all their possessions might still be there. Um, Somewhere. After, yeah. After the rebellion, after the, you know, after Robert's rebellion. So like the you dragon would, skulls you would are in think the basement. Bran could figure that out. Oh, he's asking Baelish if he knows who the dagger belonged to. I'm sure that Bran does know. <laughs> um, and, and considering that he gives it to Arya, I'm thinking that it may have been a blade owned by a female Targaryen. Yeah. One of her heroines that she loves. Right. And since it's, and since Bran, since Bran sees it fit to give it to Aegon Targaryen's sister, you know, Jon Snow's sister, Arya, not technically his sister, but they grew up as brother and sister, right? So basically sister. Um, Maybe it was Aegon the Conqueror's sister's blade originally, which would make Maybe, sense because yeah. we've been speculating that it was filling the place of Dark like Sister Rainies from the or Visenya's. Yeah, I think it was it Visenya that wielded Dark Sister. Yes. Yeah, I thought so. I'm trying to remember her conversation with Tywin because she, she mentions both of them, and then she goes, "She wielded a Valyrian steel sword called Dark Sister." I think it's Visenya. Yeah, first Visenya wielded it, and then Magor the first, her son, and then his son Jaehaerys the first, then Prince Balon Targaryen, then Prince then Prince Daemon Targaryen, then Prince Aemon Targaryen, then Sir Brynden Rivers Bloodraven. So yeah, I thought this was really cool. Probably some type of significance to this blade that we'll discover during season eight. At least I'm hoping. This question has to be answered at some point. I right? think it has to be because it's. That question's been posed in season one. It's literally kind of like what kind of started this whole, you know, right, thing like, with yeah, Bran. That's what Baelish I mean, says, too. He's like, that very question is what started the War of the Five Kings. <laughs> in a way, that dagger made you what you are today. Forced from your home, driven out into the wilds beyond the wall. He says, I've ima- I imagine you've seen things most men wouldn't believe. And I'm thinking, Bran's seen everything. <laughs> so yeah, he's seen tons of things that tons of people wouldn't believe. You wouldn't believe what he's seen, <laughs> as you're about to find out when he blows your mind coming up here. And he says to go through all of that and make your way home again, only to find such chaos in the world. I can only imagine. And that's when Bran cuts him off. Chaos is a ladder. Oh, and he just looks right at him unflinchingly. He blinks and they slow-mo his blinkage. Uh, who, Baelish? Yeah, they That's like funny. slow it down or he like closes his eyes epically slow. Yeah, I think it's just epically slow because he also very, very slightly raises his left eyebrow just so slightly, just the most, just the smallest little tell that he's, this is something significant to him. And Bran is looking right at him like, that's right, I know. And Baelish's look in response is like, how does he know? <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's so he's crazy. Like, he has like an inquisitive look on his face. Like, Baelish, yeah, like how? Yeah, how is this like, possible? How would he know that I said that? And maybe he didn't know I said it and he's just saying that it's a ladder. Right. He's like, maybe he didn't know. But then the way that Bran says it, it's like, I know, you know, and then the way he stares at him. So I think Baelish is going through that exact, you know, line of thinking where he's like, maybe he like, how does he know that? When then he's like, wait, wait, no, he can't know that. But then he's like, 
wait, the way he was looking at me and the way he said that he knows, like, how does he know? You know? And he's like yeah. on the verge of freaking out when the door opens and Mira walks in and he kind of like gives Bran this look like what? Like I think he was relieved to get the hell out of there. <laughs> yeah. He was like totally creeped out. And, uh, he was, you know, he, but he, he's like questioning what was happening. Like right before he gets up to walk out, he gives Bran another look and apologizes for having disturbed him. But he like, he's like, he kind of like shakes his head and it's like, whoa, like he's just like something weird just happened. You know, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um, um, oh, but he, he says Lord Stark, right? So Bran's like, yeah, I was going to say he goes, I'm not Lord Stark. Yeah, exactly. Basically letting him know you wasted your time trying to get influence from me. <laughs> and I already know what you're up to because I have seen your every chess move. Right. Leading up to this. Totally, totally. So, man, what a what a crazy scene. And just like you'd never would imagine in season one that Bran and Littlefinger would be sitting across from each other at Winterfell having this epic stare down. And oh, my God, like I was I remember being so shocked when this first aired and hearing Bran say chaos is a ladder. And I was just mm, like, it's oh, one of my, my favorite, God. It's one of my favorite sentences of Baelish's and the fact that they brought it back in this scene. And Bran is so robo Bran and right. Baelish is, you know, obviously trying to weasel his way in or play a game or, you know, do something with Bran and to have Baelish look like that and be completely shut down was just like, right. Kind of like the way Varys gets shut down by the, the red priestesses. They can see through the flames and know all this info. And here exactly. Bran can see through nice the and knows all this info. <laughs> and that's um, a good parallel. Thanks. Yeah. We're Again, kind of with kind of the ice and fire because yeah, Bran totally. was up in the North and the red priests are fiery the fire network and the ice network. <laughs> like you were saying, fire, Wi-Fi, <laughs> fire, Wi-Fi. <laughs> So um, we've been, yeah, we've been talking about chaos as a ladder as if our audience knows exactly what we're, what that line is referencing just for anybody in case you can't remember. That's the season one scene, I think, where Littlefinger's talking with, with um, Varys in front of the throne, talking about their ambitions. Littlefinger's talking about creating chaos and using it to rise through the ranks. And this, his uh, voiceover is overlaid as Sansa is crying as um, his ship is sailing off and she's lost her chance to get out of King's Landing and she's going to be stuck with with Joffrey. And there's just that amazing moment. It's the episode called The Climb. Yes, right. Because um, The Climb is all that matters. It's it's the same episode that John and Ygritte climb the wall. They climb the wall. So there was like this metaphorical climb of getting out of this pit right, and using a ladder and then... You, they would pan over to the wall and their little bodies looked like little ladders yeah. going up this wall. So it was like a physical representation of climbing that mountain. So good. Yeah. Physical and metaphorical all at once. Yeah. That's good writing right there. Definitely. So yeah, that's it for my number five. Just love that scene. Interesting nice. that Bran is like, you know, I'm not the Lord. That's, that's not my deal. Uh, we get that conversation with Sansa as well in this episode. So uh, what's your number five? My number five is Sansa and Arya down in the Winterfell crypt. Nice. Oh, man. So Arya, it's the first place she goes. And I know we'll talk about her arrival at Winterfell at some point. Yep. That's my number four. Okay. So we'll do you want to maybe next. do your number four first then? Uh, if you want to. Sure. We could switch it up. So they yeah, go in order. Because we might as well just do that because it. I was tempted to do this as my number four, but I felt that their interaction in the crypts 
was a little bit stronger and I didn't want to make my number five too long. Sure. Okay, so my number four, Arya returning home. So exciting after so much time. Think about it. They left, what, season one, episode two, The King's Road, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's been forever, and Arya has been so far. She's been across the, the narrow sea. She's been to King's Landing. She's been to outside the Vale. She's been to Bravos. Bravos. Everywhere. And now she's back, and she was at the Twins, and she was at the Crossing, and at the Crossroads, and she was heading to King's Landing, and now she's back at Winterfell after all this time, full circle. And she comes over this crest on her beautiful horse, and off in the distance we see Winterfell, sitting there waiting for her and the stark violin plays over the top mm, that t- that tail of that horse i don't know like if it was the lighting of the time of day or what but it looks like it's on it's like lit up oh that's so cool <laughs> oh it's so beautiful i yeah. love that horse really Amazing. pretty horse yeah and so it cuts over to the outside of winterfell right at the gate <laughs> and this scene where Arya arrives and interacts with these two guy, these guards at the door totally parallels <laughs> that guy's helmet is so annoying <laughs> oh, i love it i love it <laughs> and uh yeah the scene totally parallels that scene where Arya comes out of the sewer and king's landing in season one and tries to enter the uh, the king's landing through the mud gate or something claiming that she's the daughter of the hand of the king and the guards are like yeah sure yeah right what's you know like what's the king the hand the king's hand's daughter doing alone all dirty outside the walls you know <laughs> that's ridiculous off with you no begging i'm not a beggar i live here do you want to smack on your ear to help you with your hearing i want to see my father i want to fight the queen for all the good it does me <laughs> You want your father, boy? He's lying on the floor of some tavern, getting pissed on by his friends. My father is Hand of the King. I'm not a boy, I'm Arya Stark of Winterfell. And if you lay a hand on me, my father will have both your heads on spikes. Now, are you going to let me by, or do I need to smack you on the ear to help with your hearing? So now she's back at Winterfell. Yeah, it's like, she's supposed to, she's dead. Right. Like, no one's seen Arya in years at this point no one's even heard about her in years and and she's like i'm not dead she's like they're like where are you going she's like in there i i, I live, live here, here. <laughs> fuck off <laughs> hey oh where are you going in there i live here fuck off i'm Arya stark this is my home <laughs> and they just start laughing and like I you said dead. she's been dead for years these two scenes are basically the same thing. I live here. I live here. I'm Arya Stark of Winterfell. I'm Arya Stark. This is my home. So she starts name dropping, you know, like inside info that only Arya would know. And this shows how how out of the loop she is. Yeah, like, these are, oh man. Roderick got his head lopped off by Theon and so Maester Lewin ago. got stabbed and died. Yeah. Bran and Rick and Rickon found Maester Lewin dying when they were coming out of the crypts. And um Osha. Osha, you know, kind of ended it ended his pain and suffering for him. Yeah. Did him a solid. So, I mean, that was like season two. Two, yeah. Yeah. So she starts name dropping like um Lewin, Roderick, and they're like, There's no Roderick here. Maester's name is Wolken. And she's like, then go ask Jon Snow, the king in the north. <laughs> he's my brother. But nope, he's like super, super far away down at Dragonstone. 
And again, they tell her to fuck off. It's cold. We're busy. So, you know, best fuck off. <laughs> and Arya is like, <laughs> she's like, what the fuck is going on? Like, if John's gone, who's who's in charge of Winterfell? Because apparently I'm, I'm realizing now Arya didn't know Sansa was here. She knew that John had, she had heard from Hot Pie, John won the Battle of the Bastards. And, yeah, and, but nothing about Sansa. Right. And she knew that Winterfell had been in the possession of the Boltons because that's why she didn't want to go there originally when she was back in Westeros. She started heading south. But had she not heard that Sansa was married to Ramsay? Had she not heard that? Uh, I don't, like, and I, if, if I she don't had, know. Maybe if she had heard, did she assume that? Sansa would have been killed during the Battle of the Bastards or something like, you know, who knows? So I was wondering about that. I think she's out of the loop for sure. She I I mean, she knows that the Boltons hold Winterfell, so she maybe is likely aware that Sansa is married to Ramsay, but that may not have translated into her knowing that the Boltons have Winterfell. Right. True. And so the guy's like, she's like, who's in charge? And the guy's like the Lady of Winterfell, Lady Stark. Duh. Arya's like, which which Lady Stark? This is ridiculous. <laughs> you tell us. You're the one impersonating her sister. <laughs> I found it interesting that she said, which Lady Stark? Yeah. Like, how many Lady Starks are there? You know your mom's dead. Right. And your sister is the only other female Stark. Oh, oh. She may think that John might have, like, married somebody. Oh, yeah, oh, that's although true. Although he's not a Stark. Mm, so True. That's, but if he's a king, he could legitimize himself. That's true. So Theoretically. maybe that's where that, that question came from. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, but it, it could also be a book reference because there may be somebody impersonating a, a stark female in the books. You'll have to read more to find oh. out. So she figures it out when they say, you're the one impersonating her sister. And she's like, tell Sansa her sister's home. So they tell her to fuck off again because Lady Sansa is too busy to waste her breath on you. Just like us. <laughs> and he, he goes to throw a punch at Arya. <laughs> she like lightning fast dodges it. She's like, bitch, please. Yeah, which is aided by a convenient cut of the camera right at the moment of action. <laughs> to, like, I'm getting into this castle one way or another. Yeah, so gangster. If I'm not who I say I am, I won't last long. But if I am, and Sansa finds out that you turn me away... Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, and she basically said some similar something very similar to the guards at King's Landing too, right? If the hand finds out that you like didn't let me in to see him or something, he'll have your heads. Yeah. So they're like, eh, they're kind of glancing at each other, and they're like, yeah, we better bring her inside. <laughs> and so they bring her in, and they tell her to sit down, wait here. Yeah, wait right here. And of course, you know that's not going to happen as soon as she says it. So they start talking about like arguing over who's going to tell Lady Stark because neither one of them wants to get in trouble, basically. And while they're talking, Arya starts gazing longingly around the courtyard at Winterfell, looking at all the freshly rebuilt woodwork and everything like that. And I'm just like, yes, she's home. She made it. She's in Winterfell at this moment. And the Stark violin is reverberating again throughout the air, filling the courtyard. And Arya looks and sees the Stark banners hanging which is just still so good to see. It never gets old at this point after having lost Winterfell for so long. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah. And so <laughs> the, the guards are still arguing. And the one guy's like, if you don't tell her, I'll hit you in the fucking face as hard as I can. And then they turn and Arya is gone. <laughs> and then they're like, shit. Whisks away into the, into the crypt. Yeah, she's gone and just, poof, gone. And like that, 
he's gone. So the two guys, having lost Arya, decide to go together to Lady Sansa because <laughs> they both <laughs> share the blame at this point. And they're like, we told her to wait. We were standing right next to her. Some, just some, some girl pretending she was your sister trying to sneak into the castle. She came in, she was asking for Sir Roderick and Maester Lewin. And Sansa immediately knows that that's Arya. Right, because those names she recognizes. Because the, the people are like, the, the two guys are like, they're asking for some like weird people like Maester Lewin and Sir Roderick. Yeah, they don't like, know who, who the fuck are. are these people? And Sansa, I mean, she like she perks up. totally knows who these people are. Yeah. And no one in this castle at this point would even know of those people other than her family. Right. They think that it's just some, some winter town girl. Um, but Sansa realizes no. And they're like, don't trouble yourself over it. My lady we will find her. She's like, you don't have to, I know where she is in the crypts. Mm. And that's a uh, yes. number four. You're number five, right? Yeah. So I love that. We, we find Arya. She's looking at the statue of Ned. Yep. So Arya hears Sansa approaching and she doesn't even turn her head. And I love that. Her little spidey senses are going and she goes, yep. Do I have to call you Lady Stark now? Right. And Sansa sort of pauses for a second. Yes. Yes, you do. <laughs> and for a second, Arya doesn't know if she's serious or not. That's true. I, I think Sansa says yes, but it's also kind of like you can call me Sansa, too. You know what I mean? It's like sisters and we know that their relationship back the last time we saw them at the end of season one was always strained yeah they to just put were, it mildly oil and water you know <laughs> yeah yeah Arya yeah. wanted to be a fighter Sansa wanted to be the queen siblings fight I mean I'm an only child so I can only talk about like what I see but you know siblings can not get along sometimes and have sure. different personalities and so I was really excited to see this reunion because I was curious how it would go. Would they like rush and hug each other? Would they be a little awkward with each other? Right. And I thought that Macy Williams and Sophie Turner did such a great job of really staying true to the character. So good. Very impressive because they're like good friends off screen. So it must be it must have been like pretty difficult to get this kind of awkward dynamic. Exactly. And so. They don't rush each other, which I thought was really like kind of the way that Sansa rushed Bran. I mean, she looks at him and they and don't John. even say any words. And John, they just like embraced and they don't do that here. But Sansa they do does hug. approach. Yeah. Arya doesn't move, but Sansa approaches. It's like she kind of shows you that Arya is still like <laughs> a little hesitant about Sansa in general, maybe. Yeah, and I think it might be part of her training that she went through as a faceless man. I think she's very um, disengaged to emotion right. at this point. Um, even tempered, even keeled. She has missions and she carries them out. And she's really been trained to kind of not feel anything. Yep. And I think physically, too, because she got the shit beat out of her like on a daily basis at the House of Black and White. Oh, yeah. Good point. Um, and I love Arya here. She goes, it suits you, Lady Stark. John left you in charge. And Sansa's very proud here. He did. I hope he comes back soon. 
he was super happy to see me. I can't imagine what he's going to do when he sees you. And I loved that. His so heart much. will probably stop, she says. Oh, and, yeah. I'm, and I'm like, huh, didn't stop him the first time. His heart stopped. You know? <laughs> it's already possibly stopped. Yeah. And Arya <laughs> smiles, imagining seeing John again. And they both they both turn simultaneously to look at Ned. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time Arya has seen the statue. And she's like, it doesn't even look like him. It should have been carved by someone that knows his face. Everyone who knew his face is dead. We're not. Yes. And they love how they both smile at that. Yeah, definitely. Arya's she's heard the rumors that Sansa killed Joffrey. And True. Sansa kind of sets the record straight here. She's like, I wish that I did, but I I didn't. Yeah, they both wish they did. <laughs> and this is the first hint, Arya's next line to Sansa, that there's something new about Arya. Yeah. And her her ways of life and she says, I was angry when I heard someone else had done it. However long my list got, he was always first. And Sansa's like, what? <laughs> That's like a weird thing to say. Yeah, she looks like puzzled for a second and asks, your list? <laughs> like, your list? Yeah, of people I'm going to kill, girl. Like, Joffrey yeah. was number one on that list. And Sansa has the same reaction as the Lannister army guys that, that Arya was hanging out with. She just starts they laughing. They kind of laugh. And Arya's little laugh, she's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm serious. Yep. <laughs> like, you're laughing, but I'm, I'm dead serious. So Sansa asks, you know, how did you get back here? And Arya's like, well, it's a long, long story. I mean, we're like seven years into the story now. It's been almost a decade since they've seen each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I I guess that's maybe not necessarily true, but it's been a long time. And Sansa agrees that, you know, her story back to Winterfell was really long and not a pleasant one. And yeah, Arya has no idea. Neither of them. They both had a real rough time. Yeah. And Arya goes, well... You know, mine was pretty rough, too, but our stories aren't over yet. Nope, they're not, girl. (laughs) And that's when they finally embrace. And it's this time Arya closes her eyes, too. Yeah. Sansa actually kind of goes for Arya. And you can see that there's relief on their faces to be back in the presence of family and Totally. As strained as their relationship is, they're happy to see each other. They realize that they are clearly the same people that they weren't once were, but morphed into adults and have gone their separate ways. But they're still siblings and there's a mutual love and respect there for the two of them. Sansa's the lady she always wanted to be. Arya's the badass warrior she always dreamed of being. And they respect it versus trying to push change against, each other. Yeah, push and, against it. Yeah, and um, it was interesting. The first time they hugged, Arya looked really like awkward and didn't close her eyes and didn't look like into it really. But this time when they hug, she closes her eyes and looks has like the home look on her face. You know. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. You want to talk about the scene at the Godswood um, and finish off these three. Sure. Yeah, we might as well do that. Go for it. Cool. So I guess before before they actually get out there, at the end of the scene in the crypts, as they're hugging, you know, Sansa stops the hug and 
gets serious for a minute and has to tell Arya. She's like, Arya, Bran's home too. And, and Arya's like, what? Yeah, like, let's go see him. Yeah, but she looks so stoked. There's some nervousness in Sansa's voice when she says it. Yeah, and she kind Hesitation. of pauses and then Arya's smile like kind of fades. And then it cuts out to the godswood. And man, what a beautiful scene out there. Such a pretty lo- location. Oh, I love it so much. Yeah. And Bran's sitting out there in the wheelchair by the heart tree, the big old weirwood. And Sansa and Arya kind of arc around and to the front of him, giving him like a good 10 feet or so as they come around to face him. And Sansa's like, or Arya's like, oh my God, it's Bran. And Bran's like, you came home. And I was like, oh, this is an interesting line. He seems surprised. He goes, yeah. he goes on to say, I saw you at the crossroads. But she's like, why didn't you say something? Yeah, she's why didn't like, you, you saw like, me? call out for me? <laughs> <laughs> she's like, you saw me? And Bran's like, I see quite a lot now. Again, so cryptic and like terrible way of explaining. Robo Bran. Yeah. And Sansa's like, Sansa has to explain to Arya that now Bran has these crazy visions, right? And so... I was thinking that Bran was surprised by this, that she came home. I was like, he'd seen her going st- going south. He saw her at the crossroads. Had he not checked on her since then, apparently? He must not have looked since then. Maybe maybe he um, was busy and hadn't gotten around to it, or maybe it was an experiment to see what, what she'd choose to do. I thought it was interesting that he saw her at the crossroads, though. That's sort of like symbolic of the place where she was making her decision of whether to go north or south, right? It's just at the crossroads, the inn at the crossroads, where she's at this crossroads at her life and ends up making this decision. <laughs> Pretty crazy, right? A big decision that could have possibly saved Cersei's life. Yeah, and yeah, totally. Man, that's hardcore to think about. This implications, like if... if she hadn't run into hot pie down there. Maybe Cersei would be dead now. <laughs> I know. Damn. I've thought about that too a lot. That's crazy. And this is another example of that whole love being the death of duty thing where Arya has made this choice and she's chosen family out of love to go back home and abandoned her duty of eradicating the people on her list. And in this case, it may have really complicated the war situation by <laughs> leaving the queen, you know, Cersei alive. I don't, they should just send Arya down now to go take her out. <laughs> God damn, what are they thinking? So uh, Bran's like, I thought you might go to King's Landing. And Arya's like, so did I. And he Sansa's like confused by this. She's like, why would why would you go back to back to King's Landing? Like, why I would, would anyone want to go back to King's right, Landing? Right. And and Bran straight up tells her, Cersei is on her list of names. And Arya turns to look at Sansa, and Sansa realizes that the list is real. It's a real list. Yeah, and at first she's shocked. And then she kind of, like, becomes sort of impressed, it looks like. And she sort of asks, she gets gets inquisitive, and she's like, who else is on your list, right? And Arya looks at her and says, most of them are dead already. And Sansa is impressed, you know, and she smiles. But I think she's already, I think she's a bit intimidated as well. Learning I think that she's Arya concerned is like, a little bit. Sure, concerned, also intimidated, learning that Arya is just like such a badass that she's accomplished this. She probably heard about the phrase, whatever happened to the phrase, and maybe she's putting two and two together about that too, you know what I mean? Maybe she's concerned that she's on the list. Exactly, that's what I was going to say next, is she may be glad or hoping that she's not on the list. (laughs) 
so hilarious. when Arya says most of them are dead already, she's like, that's <laughs> a cue to Sansa, like, oh, okay, well, most of them are dead. Well, I'm still alive, so I may still be on the list, uh, but I'm, unlikely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hilarious. I was thinking the same thing. So funny. And uh, she also left it in vague, like most of them are dead already. That seems to be to me to be left intentionally vague to leave us wondering about the status of her list and the status of certain people on it, whether they're on the list or whether they're not on the list, like the Hound, for instance. Um, I think Melisandre and Beric may have been on her list after she um, after they sold Gendry. I think that Ilan Payne was on her list at one point, but she didn't say that when she was at the House of Black and White. All she said most recently, she had said Cersei, the Mountain, and um, Walder Frey. But now Walder's dead, so I think Cersei and the Mountain are officially the ones left on her list at this point. But she leaves it open here, which is the point that this is in question. Like, is Baelish on the list? I don't know. Could be. So all of a sudden... Bran pulls out the cat's paw dagger, the Valyrian steel that Baelish gave to him. And Arya's like, where did you get that? <laughs> and he tells him, Littlefinger gave it to him. And Sansa's like, uh-oh, like, that's not good. If Littlefinger's giving you something, he's going to want something in return. And Arya's just like, Littlefinger, he's here? <laughs> Why the fuck is Littlefinger yeah. here? So Sansa explains he declared for House Stark. And uh, Sansa's like, why would why would he want to give you a dagger? And obviously, Brand he thought that he would, he would want it. He, you know, he thought he was the Lord of Winterfell; that it would be important to him because it was the dagger that attacked him. So Bran says, because uh, it was it meant to kill me. And Arya is immediately curious, like, why would a cutthroat have a Valyrian steel dagger? This is the cat's paw dagger. Why would that guy have a Valyrian steel dagger? And Bran says. Someone very wealthy wanted me dead. Again, mm. an intentionally vague statement. There was speculation at the time. You know, people people thought that maybe Joffrey had sent the cat's paw to, to impress Robert. People thought that Littlefinger had hired the cat's paw. It was, it's kind of up in the air who actually hired the cat's paw. So... Brand leaves it speculative here again as well. That's leaving room for it to be revealed in the future. In that season it, eight. Yeah, that maybe yeah. it's like Varys or somebody that you know, oh, we, we, we don't expect that was sabotaging things in the background. Like, yeah, you know, who knows? So Brand's like, it doesn't matter anyway. I don't I don't want the dagger. And Sansa's like, what? And Arya's like, what? And he holds it out towards Arya. And Arya's like, oh my god, like, are you sure? It's Valyrian steel. Like, that's a coveted item, you know? People don't just give away Valyrian steel. Yeah, like, why would you... Because it's wasted on a cripple. Yeah. And uh, Arya walks up and takes it, and it's just like, oh man, like, this dagger is going to be important at some point. There's something... Super important. Yeah, Bran sees its destiny and, like, just puts it in the direction it needs to go in. It's this old Targaryen blade for sure. I can't wait to get a little more about it. There's been like little hints that it's important and there's got to be some big reveal this season. Well, it keeps, it keeps popping up, mm -hmm. you know, it pops up occasionally throughout the series and it's, we also get it again when she fights Brienne, which is such a great scene. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's being showed its importance in this episode for sure. Yep. Totally. So 
Arya gets the blade and she's super excited about that. And so are we, because it's going to be awesome. Um, interestingly, um, there's, so Sansa says to Bran, he's like, Littlefinger is not a generous man. He wouldn't give you something unless he thought he was going to get something back. And I'm like, ah, you're going to get that dagger back <laughs> right to the throat. In his neck. <laughs> yeah, right. So that's kind of funny. He, he, it's in that, in the trend of, um, you know, Obara being impaled on her own spear, Nymeria being strangled by her own whip, Baelish is killed with his own dagger, essentially. That's crazy. Yeah. So the three Starks in Winterfell gather uh. themselves together and walk back up to the castle, and Arya's pushing Bran in the wheelchair. I cry, or I get, like, big tears in my eyes every time I see them walking through Winterfell together. Right. Right, yeah. Bran, then Arya, then Sansa. I get these big old tears because you get the Stark music playing and you get yep. Sansa's like fiery red hair. And Brienne is watching. Oh, what a scene that was. Yeah, Brienne and Podrick are watching as all the Stark children are walking through Winterfell together. And Podrick's like, Catelyn Stark would be proud to Brienne. You kept your vow. <laughs> and what an awesome Brienne moment, right? I know. <laughs> I did next to nothing. You know, she's always, you know. You're really hard on yourself, my lady. <laughs> my lady. I'm not a... And she pauses and she, it's, it's great moment. Thank you, Brienne. She thanks him. And I just love this because it's like Brienne is thank lightning. You, yeah. Oh, thank you, Podrick. Yeah. I love this. Cause it's like a, a moment with Brienne lightening up for a second. Like she can finally relax for just a split moment. Yeah, after, There are three Stark children in Winterfell. Right. This magnificent accomplishment has been realized. And we know that John is safe and we know that Rickon has died. So, I mean, these are, these are the last remaining trueborn Starks. Yep. Man, so cool. Great moment Crazy. for Brienne there where she can, she's yeah. just sort of soaking in that she's done a job well done. And, uh, <laughs> she doesn't finish that sentence. She's stops snapping at pod and just relaxes for a minute, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so that's, uh, that covers our number four and number five, right? Yes. So how about we go on to your number three? My number three is the cave. Yeah, if if John wants you in a cave with him, you know you're in, right? So I do want to start kind of at the at the top of the stairs when uh Danny and Masande are talking. I would expect no less. Because it's so <laughs> cute. She's asking, she goes, you know, have we heard from the unsullied yet? Like yeah. it's been a long time. Still no and word. She's nervous. She goes, soon. They'll be back soon and um, you know, they'll come back and Masande goes, he better. <laughs> and and Danny's like, girl, what happened? <laughs> Many, Many things. things. Many things. <laughs> Many things. And she kind of like, like, <sighs> <laughs> and I love that. Like, it, it's kind of like girl talk moment. Right. You know, they're still they're She's like the queen and this is her most trusted advisor. And they've been so serious this whole time. And there's just like this little twinge of like teenage girl yep, moment totally. between the two of them, which I love because I know that they're in the books. They're still super young here. Way I think younger. they are still teen, teenagers. If that <laughs> Miss yes. is like 11 or something. Oh, really? I oh, think damn. so, yeah. Yeah, and so then there's Jon Snow 
Jon Snow. Breeding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Many things. And then John appears at right at that moment. Your grace. And Miss Ande turn looks at Daenerys like, Your turn, girl. <laughs> go get yeah, him. Go get it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um and, and so, Danny gets this look on her face like, ha, ah, here's my man. Yeah, I mean, there's they she are really attracted to each other. She licks her lips. Yeah, because he's scrumptious. <laughs> <laughs> um so Danny starts walking down the stairs and the Dothraki, her Dothraki um bodyguards start yeah, her to follow her. And she she says in Dothraki to them, like, it's all right, you don't need to follow me. Zero not, fear of John. No, and you can tell. Like, if I were Danny, I wouldn't be fearful of John either. I mean, he he is serious about his mission of mining this dragon glass. That's yeah, why he he's here. You know, he's not going to like lure her into this cave and murder her. He doesn't really have a reason to because he needs her as an ally. Right. He wants those dragons if possible. Yeah. So they start walking together and, and Davos kind of uh, brings up the rear and with Missande. Uh, with Missande and um, Davos hands him a torch and I thought it was nice of John to, Me to too. say to Danny, like, hey, I wanted you to see this amazing cave that you have at the bottom of your castle because it's really beautiful. And before we like hack it to bits, I really think you should see right. it. Your ancestral home. Come soak it up for a little bit. Yeah. And how romantic. Oh, my God. That cave. <laughs> John and his caves. Every girl wants John to kneel in a cave. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> so, uh, um, they as as a first time viewer, you know, you're just thinking like, oh, hacking it to bits, like they're just going to start chopping up dragon glass, and I'm sure it's really pretty in its natural form up in up in a cave like that. But what yeah. he was really kind of leading towards, which we find out very shortly, is the drawings on the wall, um, which I'm sure they'll probably try to preserve as best as possible. I would hope. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But, um, yeah, so they, um, they start going down into the cave and the, the torch that John is carrying illuminates this amazing sparkly dragon glass all over the walls of this cave and the ceiling. And you can just see that obsidian just sparkling. It's so beautiful. And I wondered is this a real cave or is this like... It looks pretty real. I mean, maybe they like... It real to me too. Maybe they added sparklies all over it or something. Yeah, or maybe not. I mean, I know that there's caves... Caves do exist like this in the world, but... True. Um, you know, I was curious if maybe any of our listeners knew if this was filmed in a, in a real location that had this sparkly crystal type, whether it's obsidian or not, I don't know, but... Or if, if this was kind of enhanced digitally somehow. There's a crazy cave network in like New Mexico. I can't remember what it's called. It's like Dolce something or other, but it's it's just like full of giant crystals and it's off limits for, for like regular people to go to. There's also one in Tennessee that I went to. They have like a, a ton of stalactites and stalagmites that are all sparkly. Nice. Um, they're super cool. And then there's like this big, like 50 foot waterfall, like 500 feet down. Sick. And they have like no idea where the water source comes from. Whoa. It's just like this giant waterfall. And I've actually been in that in that cave and I That's can't badass. remember the name of it. I was in Chattanooga, Tennessee at the time. And 
I was talking about the place called Cave of the Crystals in Mexico. Oh, nice. Yeah, giant crystal caves. Like, I'm talking about, like, it looks like the fucking Fortress of Solitude inside this cave. Nice. Nice. It's nuts. I like it. I went it. to a place called Crystal Cave in uh, Bermuda one time, too. Yeah, I don't think I'll be going to Bermuda. I'd like to come back from my vacations. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, what, you, would you just stay there forever? The Bermuda Triangle. You oh, disappear okay. when oh, you go there. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Um, so Dan, the look on Danny's face is kind of astonishment. Like, oh my God, there's a lot here. Like there's yeah, it's amazing. It's not just like a little bit. It, this is like a giant, this is a huge cave too. I mean, most caves are kind of claustrophobic and small and lead to larger rooms, but this one is almost immediate that they walk in and it's this big giant room of yeah, obsidian. Big open expanse and this beautiful, happy music fills the air as we see views of dragon glass sparkling everywhere, looking down at these little small people, Danny and John, down at the bottom of this huge cave, and Danny just looks enchanted by the beauty of this cave. It's and how can you not? Romantic. Could you imagine walking into that? Yeah. Like, so not cool. even knowing that it existed a few weeks ago, yeah. that you've just been, like, walking up and down those stairs this whole time, and that's what's underneath you. Uh-huh. Oh, oh man, so man. Cool. I get, next, imagine if we get this next season where Danny's dying or something, or one of either John or Danny are dying, and and they're like, oh, what? Are, like, I wish we could go back to that cave. <laughs> you know? oh my God. Just like a grip. I hope they don't do that. I would just be like, no. <laughs> Imagine that. Don't do it. Don't go back to the cave. Maybe this is the kiss of death because Going in he's caves in a cave with, with Danny. Well, and I, and I noted, um, which we'll get to in a second. Actually, I think it's actually right here. Um, he goes, there's something else I want to show you, your grace. Yeah. And, and these are like when the- he says that, he grabs her arm and pulls her towards him. And it's the first time they physically touched each other. Yeah, that's it's. Yeah, exactly. First, he he's like, there's something else I want to show you. And they walk further down. And there's this is where we start to see the the etchings and the paintings all over the walls, suns and spirals and. One spiral made of little lines that look like the stones around the tree where the Night King was created. Yep. I noted that too. And John's like telling Danny about how the children of the forest made these. And And she asks when, and John's like, um, a really long time ago. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) They were right here, standing where we are. Before there were Targaryens or Starks or Lannisters, maybe even before there were men. And John's like, no. And, uh, and oh, he, is this where he grabs her? Not quite yet. He's like, they were here together, the children and the first men, and they look over and there's the, the etchings of the man, the men with them. And Daenerys says, doing what? Doing what? Fighting, each Fighting each other? And this is when Jon touches her arm mm, to lift yes, the torch. That's right. First contact. Oh, oh and man. you can just feel the heat emanating off them. Yeah. They're and, like magnets to each other. Right. You know, it's like you can't, it's undeniable connection yeah, it's electric he reaches it's up and touches like, her like egret um with john you could i mean and i know that they're married in real life but right right you, you, it's undeniable amelia clark and kit harrington's physical connection as well i right. mean it's there For did you sure. ever see that picture of them kissing yeah everybody like thought it was real and shit i mean yeah. like it was real but it wasn't yeah but i mean it's a pretty kiss they were asked to kiss but it's like one of those you know, you like seeing these people together because they have 
a true physical connection. And I, I, that's, I liked, I didn't really like Egret as a character, but I loved their connection on the show with each other because it was real. I mean, they, they were in love in real life and you could tell on set that that was true. Right. Definitely. So, uh, that's, he touches her arm and Mm. lifts it up. Yeah. So hardcore. And this is when he like, he lifts it up to aim the light towards a different scene on the wall. And we see another drawing of the night King with a big old beard. And did you notice like their eyes seemed to be glowing blue? I didn't yeah. notice them actually glowing, but yeah, I mean, it's possible. They just, I, it was the, it was the light on the wall, you know, like from the, from the, from torch, the torch, but yeah. I mean, it was all, they were all pretty like black and white kind of paintings and drawings on the wall. And then their eyes were blue. Damn. Yeah, and it was so just intense. very, it was a very stark contrast with compared to the other drawings that we had just seen on the wall. Right. And they, I always felt, feel like they're looking at you. Yeah, that's, that's cool. (laughs) There's, um, and I'm like, I just thought it was interesting too, how the Night King had a beard. (laughs) That was pretty interesting. Yeah. Pretty funny. I noted that too. John's like, they fought together, the the children and the first men against their common enemy, despite their differences, despite their suspicions of each other together. And if we're going to survive, we need to do the same thing. And they look back at the wall. John continues, because the enemy is real. It's always been real. And he's like, this is the proof. Look, like they're talking about it thousands of years ago. And this is exactly what I came here to tell you about. And what are the odds like that? Like that now that the Night King has reemerged, we find this cave to find the kill, the, the thing to kill the Night King. And here is a drawing of the Night King written all over the stuff that we're going to use to try to kill them. <laughs> like pretty crazy. It's it's amazing. And I think this is starting to really weigh on Danny that Tyrion has told Danny that he trusts John, that it's not crazy, that, you know, he's he's honorable. We should have him as an ally. He's here in the physical flesh. He didn't send someone else to talk to her because he wants all this dragon glass because he himself has seen what's on the wall right underneath her castle. It's becoming more tangible to her than before. Um, She's like, you just drew these here to fake me, to trick me. (laughs) (laughs) It it kind of goes back to Tyrion's conversation with Jon on the cliff about it's, it's almost too big for someone's mind to handle a threat like that. Right. And so this is kind of like warming Danny up to the idea that maybe Jon is like, Telling the truth. Maybe this her. is something that we really should be concerned with. Like slowly turning up the temperature in the pot so she doesn't jump out like a frog when you're trying to boil a frog, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Never boiled a frog. Neither but have I. <laughs> I'll take your <laughs> for, the, word for the record. <laughs> but it's a common metaphor for acclimation. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so she's like, and you say you can't defeat this enemy in the north without my armies and my dragons? No, I don't think I can. Oh, the moment is so intense as they're looking into each other's eyes. She walks towards steps him. Steps closer to him, yeah. This is what I mean about, like, magnetic. Yeah. Same thing as the throne it. room. Yeah. yeah it's you can almost totally like you it. can see, like, the waves of energy like, yeah. passing between their bodies. It's, it's crazy. so crazy. Totally. And she's like, I will fight for you. I will fight for the North. And right when she says this is the first time we get to hear it, what you could call the song of ice and fire, 
the new motif that's being introduced for the first time in this moment, the musical motif that plays for the combination of John and Danny, ice and fire. And we'll hear it repeated and expanded upon in the following episodes, excitingly. Thanks to Lord Nick of House Wiccans for um, pointing this out to me, too. Sort of a tragic doomed lovers type vibe. Here it is. I will fight for you. I will fight for the North. When you bend the knee. My people won't accept a southern ruler. Not after everything they've suffered. They will if their king does. They chose you to lead them. They chose you to protect them. Isn't their survival more important than your pride? When you bend the knee. <laughs> I say that to Justin every night, trying to get his stupid pajamas on. Bend the knee. Uh, hilarious. There's a meme that goes around. It's right. Like, Lisa posted Danny. that. On the, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. Got like <laughs> ten thousand so views in an hour or something. Yeah, it's so true. It's like, God damn it! Just bend your knees so I can get these jammies on you. Hilarious. <laughs> and John, oh, like, goodness. he can't bend the knee yet, and he's like, "My people won't accept a southern ruler, not after everything they've suffered." They will if their king does. They chose you to lead them. They chose you to to protect them. Isn't their survival more important than your pride? Ooh. Did that remind you of anything? It did, but I couldn't remember who said it. John said it. He said it to Mance. Oh, that's what it was. Okay, I was... Thank and you, because it did remind me, and I was like, someone else has said that before. Yeah, and she says it to him. Isn't their survival, the survival of your people, more important to your pride? That's right. And John he, looks like he just heard a ghost from the past whispering in his ear as she said that, because this is the exact argument that exact John made words. to Nance. Yeah, to save him and his people from Stannis. He's like, just bend the knee, just kneel. Like, is your pride more important than the survival of your people? If you kneel, Stannis will let them through the wall, you know? So I was like, damn, John looks like, like literally like he just saw a ghost and it like really hits him, I think. And, um, when is it that John kneels? It's not in this scene, right? No, it's after it's, it's, well, he never actually kneels. It's, it's when on the they're boat. on the boat on the- <laughs> and he's laying in the bed and he said, you know, he goes, he calls her Danny and she goes, the last person to call me Danny was, um, Viserys and that's not good company to keep. And John goes, okay, well, how about my queen? Oh, man. And he goes, I would kneel, but I'm <laughs> frozen in this bed right <laughs> But you're on top of me. Oh, yeah. man. And so, they're holding hands in the moment, I think. Or he grabs her hand afterwards. or bef- they're, they're holding hands at one point in that scene, too. Nice. So he hasn't made up his mind yet, but this is an important argument, something that's going to stick out to him and influence his decision. This idea of survival being more important than pride, because this he, he's made this argument before himself. So this is mm-hmm. obviously stands out to him. And uh, this 
that's where that cave scene ends and it cuts to them walking out. Right. <laughs> well, and again, you just feel that energy like they, the, the camera just lingers just enough, just yep. long enough to have that little moment of when it cuts away, you're kind of curious, like what happened, what, what happened. <laughs> and, um, the way that Danny is saying this, that I will fight for you. I'll fight for the North. You know, she seems so like, it's like so true. She really wants to team up with John and wants to fight by his side. And to I kind of feel like when she says, you know, isn't their survival more important than your pride? I feel like I wanted to say to Danny, it's like, well, maybe you should look in the mirror when you say that because yeah, right. you're being kind of prideful right now. Like only offering to help someone if they bend the knee and call you queen when everyone's survival may lay within your power with your dragons. Right. Is it, is your queenship worth the, the, the lives of the everybody lives of in everybody? the seven kingdoms? <laughs> yeah. So I thought that that was kind of an interesting little parallel. It's like, you're calling John prideful because he won't bend the knee, but you won't help right. him. Pot calling the kettle black. Type yeah. Scenario. It was kind of an interesting little dynamic there that I picked up on. Totally. So we and we exit out of the cave and there's that moment where they're walking next to each other. And from the camera angle, it looks like they're holding hands, holding hands. Yep. <laughs> but then it cuts to the front and they're not. And I was like, oh man, uh, that would have been crazy. And Tyrion and Varys are standing outside the cave and they do not look happy. They give what seems to be good news that they took Casterly Rock. Well, that's very good to hear. Yeah. And they're like, <laughs> Varys like, won't look at her. He's like looking down at the ground. It's hilarious. And Danny's like, isn't it? Oh, man. She's yeah. fucking pissed, too. Yeah. She's like steaming along, running down, like storming along the beach, berating Tyrion for his plans, screwing over their entire operation and costing them the Tyrells and the Dornish and the Ironborn. Tyrion tries to like stick up for himself. And he's like, listen, we, we still have the Dothraki. We have enough ships to carry them to the mainland. We can commit to our blockade of King's Landing. It's still the right plan. He's like, if I've underestimated our, our enemies and she loses it, she's like our enemies, your family, you mean, family, right? Yeah. Like maybe you don't want to, maybe you're not on my side after all. Maybe you don't want to take down the Lannisters. And I'm like, ouch. And Tyrion looks hurt by that. Yeah. I mean, I think she's just, saying it out of anger and she I don't is. think she really means it. But still he, it's, you know, he's later in this episode, he's essentially watching his house being wiped out and you're watching your house being destroyed. And simultaneously, the person who's asking you to do it is questioning your loyalty. Like, you know, it's like, uh, it's just kind of, just kind of a shitty position. Yeah, it definitely in. hurts for sure. Yeah. And uh, she's like, enough with the clever plans. And I liked this line because it was echoing what Olena said a couple episodes ago, right? Be a dragon. She was talking mm -hmm. about her hand and how Tyrion's a clever man. And she's out-survived all the clever men by doing her own thing and not listening to them. So that's what Danny does here. She's like, enough with your clever plans. I have dragons and I'm going to use them. We're going to fly to the Red Keep. And Tyrion and Missandei are like, oh God, like this is not a good idea. Like we've, we've discussed this and she's like, listen, Cersei's in the red keep. That's where my enemies are. If I'm not willing to risk my life to take out my enemies, to save my people, what good am I as a queen? Like what kind of and queen am does I? Does that remind you of anything? What? Um, Risking your life for your people. Yeah. John. 
John says that to Ramsey. How how would your people would your people fight for you if they find out that you didn't fight for them? Right, and he sort of says a similar thing to Sam when he risks his life to go treat with Mance going north That's of the right. wall. Yeah. Um. So he's gonna he's gonna he's sacrificing his life basically because he's planning on killing Mance. So she's like, "What kind of queen would I be if I didn't risk my life to fight for them?" Um, just like Ramsey refused to do, like you said, and Tyrion's like a smart one. And she looks over at John and asks for his advice. <laughs> and it was kind of <laughs> like that moment where um, she asked for Missandei's advice too. And Missandei's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I, <laughs> I am not in any place to give you advice. Yeah. Right when she started storming off, off on, along down the beach, uh, Davos had said, you'll want to talk about this amongst yourselves. Like, we'll, <laughs> we'll get out of here. <laughs> she's like, no, 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 you're not going anywhere, motherfucker. She's like, she, at this point, she recognizes the wisdom of Davos and John and she wants their input. Which is yeah. like, she's always asking for people's input, you know, kind of cool. So she's like, what do you think I should do? And John's like, I don't want to get involved with this. And she's like, I'm at war. I'm losing. And like, you can tell she's serious when she says that. What do you think I should do? And John looks out at the dragons and has an epic monologue, basically saying like, this is nuts. Nobody ever imagined the dragons would exist again. And then you came along and made something impossible happen and brought them back. Maybe that's what like drives the people to love you, that you make them believe that impossible things can happen. And if you made one impossible thing happen, maybe you can make more impossible things happen and build a world that's different and better than this garbage world mm. that they've always known. And he, he's looking out at the dragons and he, and he, what this a is shot. Yeah. Oh, my God. oh yeah. Right. And this is now it's time for a cutting truth. Right. And he's like, but if you use your dragons to melt castles, and burn cities, you're not different. You're just more of the same. And Danny has a look like a like a toddler who knows that they're doing the wrong thing, you know? But they're <laughs> yes, like angry. I know that about, face all yeah, too well. <laughs> angry being told not to do it. And she's she knows it's true, but she doesn't want to accept it. She wants to go just rage with those dragons so bad. But she knows he's right. Like, how could you not want to just do it? You know, it's just like fuck. Like, I have like what we said earlier, I have like Three F-15s right. that I can, at my disposal, like, I could just fly in today and just, this would, this could be over, like, enough with strategy and playing this game. Like, I can wipe the game board off the table. Yeah, exactly. There's, there Break would be the no wheel. game anymore. You know, totally. it would just be over. Game over. I win. Exactly. But I, I do like John, he, again... Danny's a Targaryen. She is the Mad King's daughter. And while she does have a check on her impulses, everyone around Danny, Danny is expressing have reason. Yep. And a little Elena is in her mind saying, don't Be listen to them. <laughs> Be a dragon. Fire and blood, my dear. <laughs> she, what she does is she takes her advice and she scales it back. So instead of rushing into King's Landing and burning the shit out of the Red Keep and having a lot of casualties, most likely, of innocent people, yep. she goes after the Lannister army yep. specifically, not the people, not King's Landing. These, the army is what is a threat, not the common people. Totally. It's, it's really not at this point even really Cersei, it's the armies that fight the battle. So if she can wipe out the army, 
there's no one to fight her. So she takes what they said into consideration, but she's still going to do what she wants to do. And she's like, I'm going to, I'm going to up the ante here. Cersei was the first to draw blood. She was the first to attack us. Now I'm going to attack her back. She's going to add a dragon piece to the board. Yeah, which she absolutely should. Why not use them? I would use them. Oh, hell yeah. So it's great. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I love it. Yep. But yeah, John, another voice of reason. Yes. Great, great dialogue between all of them, really. Yeah. And it's just cool seeing them all collaborate to start working on solutions. Now John's getting his, his perspective into the mix as well. And uh, all of our She's favorite starting to trust him as are, an ally, too. She's asking yeah, totally. for his advice. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. He's essentially serving as an advisor if, <laughs> at this point already. You know, so it's, it's just wild seeing them combine forces and seeing Tyrion and Danny and John and Davos and Missande all working together. It's so cool, man. Love it. Yeah. So where are we? We've done my number three. Okay. So next is my number three, then. Okay. So, John is up on top of the cliff. For some reason, I don't remember what he's doing up there, but he sees a single ship sailing into the bay, and it has a Kraken sigil on it. And and Missandei turns to look as well, and he's like, is that a Greyjoy ship? And I'm like, oh, fuck, John's about to see Theon. John and Theon reunited. That's my number three. Okay. So it cuts down to the beach at Dragonstone and Theon and his Ironborn are pulling their boat, their landing boat onto the beach, dragging it through the surf and Theon taps the front and they stop it. And Theon turns to the shore and Jon Snow is standing right there in front of him. John? (laughs) Yeah. And he's face to face with Jon Snow all of a sudden. He's been avoiding this for so long. This is why he did not go to Castle Black with Sansa because he couldn't bear to face Jon. Yep. I noted that too. He couldn't face Jon. Oh my God. And here he is. Just out of the blue. And he's like, (laughs) Jon, it's like, I didn't know you were here. Sansa, is is she all right? I love that that was his first question. Yes. Is she okay? Did she make it? Like, yeah, very important question. And it's also like reminding John that he's done something to help. <laughs> you know, He saved her life. Yeah. And John reaches over and grabs him by the shirt and pulls him up. And it's just like, looks like he's about to just throttle him. And he's like, what you did for her is the only reason I'm not killing you right now, you son of a bitch. And just like pushes him back and releases him. And Theon's like, you know, he's upset by this, obviously. But he's making the best of it. And it, the camera, the focus changes from John and Theon to looking back at Davos. And uh, he he's like asking about what the hell happened, basically. We heard your uncle attacked. We thought you were dead. And he's like, I should be. I was a coward. Yeah. I jumped. And Theon, Theon says that Euron has Yara and he, he's come to ask the queen to help get her back. And John says, the queen is gone. And I thought that was interesting because he refers to Danny as the queen. I was like, has he, I has he made too. his decision at this point? Maybe subconsciously. It might have been like a Freudian slip. Maybe. Because this is right after he was talking with, with Missande and Davos at the top of the cliff. And we learned how he, he basically ends up um, taking... Tyrion's advice and asking Danny's followers why they follow her, you know? 
I also think that John respects her as a queen. He's just not going to follow her. He's he's the king in the north, and she's kind of like the queen of the south. And he right, doesn't really he want says, anything to do with the, the south. queen, not your queen. Yeah, but because she is a queen, so she's the queen. Yeah. of the south. I think. Yeah. It, I mean, it, we could get into grammar, but it's. <laughs> I, I I think maybe it's partially a Freudian slip, like a, a subconscious thing, but he has been respectful. calling her your grace this whole time. He's being respectful that she is a queen, right. that she's deserving of that title, yeah. but he's not going to give the North to her. Yeah. Not yet, yet at least. <laughs> and Theon's like, where did she go? And that's when it cuts over to the loot train battle. But we'll get to that when we get to it. <laughs> uh, so that's it for my number three. I was just great seeing John and Theon reunited after so long and so much uh, tension leading up to it and the anticipation of wondering, you know, both Theon is wondering and we as an audience are wondering how John is going to react to seeing him again. Is he just going to kill him right on the spot? Is he going to pummel him? Is he going to, you know, like he's probably not going to just forgive him, you know, <laughs> he betrayed yeah. Rob and you know, betrayed Winterfell and the Starks and everything. John he did murder those two boys, whether they were Bran and Rickon or not. He's still like, killed two innocent children which is so fucked up so fucked up totally oh man theon yep dick what a, Dickless what a crazy character he is <laughs> totally so uh what's your number two my number two is the dance of Arya and brienne nice i knew you were gonna do this so i left it off mine <laughs> this honestly i was i know that Everyone that listens to our podcast knows that the loot train battle is my favorite battle. Right. And I was really tempted to not even include that in my top five because it's just so far apart of everything. It's my favorite part of this entire series in a, in a weird way. It's so nice. intense. So I did make part of the battle. My number one, a very specific part that just resonated with me when I was a first time viewer of mm. that whole scene. Um, but this actually, if you cut out that whole battle, this would actually be my number one. Nice. Um, so that's why I made it my number two. Gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> I, I couldn't not have a part of the loot train battle be my number one, but I was really tempted not to. Um, but we, we start, we're, we're up at Winterfell and we're in the courtyard and Brienne and Podrick are sparring and Brienne is continuing to teach Pod how to fight. And she's, you know, she's like kicking him down and he's falling all over the place and she's barking orders at him. Don't, like, you know, don't lunge. Don't go where your don't enemy leads you. Yep. You know, I was thinking, and, um, nope. And don't, cause last time we saw them fighting, she kept oh, saying, with nope. Tormund. yeah, she's like, nope. <laughs> as she like keeps taking down Podrick. I realized during this rewatch that nope and don't are Brienne's shame and confess. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like Septi nice. and Nella gets fixated, repeating shame, shame, confess, confess. Brienne's just like, nope, 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 nope don't, don't, don't. don't. <laughs> At least in this scene, she's giving him some direction. But it's all negative. She doesn't tell him what to do. She just tells him what not to do. That, not to that's do. That's like a horrible teaching style. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, she's clearly like not... She's a great warrior herself, but 
sometimes you can be really good at something and it's really hard to teach other people to do it. Right. And I I mean, Um, Dark Souls, the video game does teach this way. It basically tells you what not to do by you end up dead and you realize, oh, I shouldn't do that. And you have to try something else. Dave used to play Dark Souls. He put it down fairly quickly because it's super frustrating. Oh man. Yeah. I love that. Beat it. Beat all three of them. Bam. Yeah. Oh, really? Nice. Love those games. I used like guides and stuff, you know? Um, so Arya is watching and she has this smirk on her face and she approaches Brienne because she's seen Brienne fight before. Yes, she um, has. And presumably killed the hound. So we cut back to Brienne just, you know, beating on Podrick and Podrick's blocking some of her blows and she knocks him down again. And don't. And don't fight someone like her in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) Arya cuts in. (laughs) So funny, man. Patrick stands up and kind of like, you know, fixes his clothing and, um, and he gets his, picks up his sword and Arya is walking and her hands are behind her back. And that's kind of her move. Yeah. It's so cool. And for the first time since outside the veil, Arya and Brienne are face to face and Arya and Brienne says the same thing that she says to Arya the first time too, right? Nice sword. Very nice dagger. Yeah. Oh, so she's wearing the dagger and Brienne instantly sees that it's a, a special dagger. Yeah. It really is. I mean, the, it's not like you're... can't miss that crazy hilt sticking out with the gold and the dragon bone and, you know, the gem. It's very, very detailed. Yeah, it's beautiful. And so she, Arya looks down at her dagger and she pulls it, pulls out. it out and she kind of like flips it around a couple of times and then hands it to Brienne to, um, to examine it. How did she learn how to do all this stuff? Like, she's so good at now, you know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. I think all the fighting that she did with the waif. I mean, yeah. even I mean she we only saw a, little bits and pieces. So she she probably did dagger training, did like all kinds of different training. All of it. I think yeah. all of it. I think she knows about poisons. I think she knows about daggers and, and staffs and sticks and swords and how to dodge and how yeah. to... Just do crazy stuff. That's, I mean, all we ever really saw Arya doing for a really long time is getting the shit beat out of her in the House of Black yeah, and White. Yeah, basically. You're eventually going to learn how to fight back, totally. you know, and dodge and, and get creative with your footwork. And so, um, Brienne's looking at the dagger and Sansa and Baelish are, are up on the upper bannerments and they're just yeah. having some, you know, stupid conversation. I'm sure Littlefinger's probably bugging the shit out of, Sansa and Sansa looks down and sees Arya speaking with Brienne and she kind of stops. Stops in her tracks. I feel yeah. like now that Arya, now that Sansa knows Arya is a killer, she like wants to see her skills. You know what I mean? So she sees this face off, this like showdown forming and she's like, oh God, I got to watch this. Like she doesn't yeah, even realize really it, but curious. she just has to watch, you know? And she knows what an amazing fighter Brienne is. Um, right. You know, we, she's seen it firsthand when, Brienne rescues her in the, in the wilderness cuts down all those guys with pod. Yeah. And I mean, she doesn't even like see half of it. I mean, she goes toe to toe with Jamie Lannister. She presumably beats the hound. I mean, he didn't end up dying, but she takes down Loras as well. Loras. That's right. Fighting for Loras mm-hmm. in the uh, fighting with Loras in front he's of like a, a well-renowned fighter. You know, his skills are, 
well-known. So what Sansa saw was a very small glimpse into Brienne's um, track record with her. So um, Arya says to Brienne that it's been a while since I've trained. And Brienne being very respectful, she's like, well, my lady, I think I'm going to go find the master of arms for you. She goes, no, he didn't beat the hound. You did. I want to train with you. And I thought this was interesting, too, because you couldn't tell at this point if Arya is angry that she killed the hound or if she's just like impressed. You know what I mean? I wasn't sure whether or not Arya wanted to like fight her, you know? Because she got all mad when Pod brought it up. Yeah, that's true. So either way, whether she's angry at Brienne for beating the hound or not, she respects the talent that's there in yeah, Brienne. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, for sure. And Brienne kind of laughs and Arya says, you swore to serve both my mother's daughters, didn't you? And did you see the figure that walks behind them? No. Um, It looks like Catelyn Stark. What? Yeah, it, it went around the internet, but I noticed it at the very first time I watched it before it broke the internet. Like a ghost um, of Catelyn Stark. There's there's a figure that, okay, so it, the camera pans to Brienne, we're looking at Brienne, and then the camera pans to Arya when she says, you swore to serve my mother's daughters, and right as she says the word mother, in the in the gateway, there's a figure that walks from right to left. And it looks like Catelyn Stark. Yeah, I mean, like funny. long red hair with a dark dress on. And she's just walking. Creepy. But, you know, I thought it was really cool that if that was meant to be or if that really was the actress, it, you know, like the ghost of Lady Stark is there at, yeah, at the castle. Cool. And the fact that you see that figure right as the word mother comes out of Arya's mouth, it was... You, you have to go back and watch it. Yeah, I will. And tell me that it doesn't look like her, because it really does. I mean, I will for there's sure. nobody else in that sh- whole shot, or even in Winterfell at all, that has that long, wavy, reddish hair that Sansa has, mm-hmm. except for her mom. And it's it looks like the actress that plays Catelyn Stark. It's so funny. So this is a huge reason why this is my number two, because I loved that. If that's truly a little sneak of... I don't know, ghost or just a homage back to Lady Stark that they threw that in there for the show to break the internet. I loved how creative it was, whether it was intentional or not. not yeah. <laughs> um, it's pretty impressive. And I just loved it. Nice. I thought it was kind of interesting here that Arya wants to show off her skills to Brienne. It's under the guise of having not trained. I mean, Maybe that's what it is. She just wants to do some training, but she seems like she's kind of showing off, you know? Oh, I think she's totally confident in showing off. And I just, it just stuck out to me because it's, it totally contradicts Ned's style of not fighting publicly because he doesn't want to show people what he can do. But then again, that may have just been to hide the fact that he was not the magnificent fighter who killed Arthur Dane in single combat. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yeah. So, Brienne, move aside, Podrick. Yep. Get out of the way, <laughs> Get bitch. out of the way. Nah. <laughs> and um, Arya draws needle. You can't use goes, that, my you lady. You can't use it's that. It's way, way too small. Physically, yes. The mass would be easily deflected. <laughs> she, and Arya doesn't even bat an eye. She's like, I'm not going to cut you. Don't and worry. So she's like super confident. Like, you're not even going to touch this blade at nah. all. <laughs> 
And so Brienne smiles and she's like, let's do it. Let's let's go for it. Totally. And Brienne goes, I'll try not to, to Arya saying, I won't cut you. Mm-hmm. And so then they start their dance and Arya kind of parries her first attack. And I think Brienne's being a little careful at the start of this. So Holding back Brienne, a little. Yeah. Yeah. Just testing the waters because she doesn't want to like crush Arya. Yeah. She doesn't want to hurt like Arya Stark. Like what a you know, right. Insult. That would and be Aria parries all the blows and whacks her right on the knuckles and like forces her to it's let go with one of her hands. <laughs> yeah. And I was just amazed at how precise that strike was. That was like a very, like very targeted strike. Super fast. And you hear the Aria. blades hitting each other. It's like, ding, ding, ding. and yeah. you know, it's like you hear the parries and the strikes precision parrying. And, oh. and so Brienne kind of regains her composure and she starts to circle Arya. And then we get the camera angle up to Baelish and Sansa and they're both watching in silence. Yeah. Baelish looks kind shocked. Of unfolds. Like, damn. Sansa looks like, whoa. Yep. And so we get Arya's famous move. She has needle straight up her back. Yes. With her hands behind it. her back. And so Brienne goes to strike Arya and Arya blocks the attacks again. And she spins and kind of hits Brienne in the knees, causing Brienne's sword to fall or not fall, but to hit the dirt. And I think... This is where Brienne's, I think, a little surprised and goes into full, like, battle mode. Yeah, she actually, she like, kicks her Arya to the ground. <laughs> yeah, kicks her all the way like, across oh, the courtyard. And you can see, Boots like, her. the look on her face, you know, it's like, it was reactionary. Yeah, it she kind of, like, I lost think, herself for a second. Yeah, total reaction. And Arya does that crazy, like, break dancer move back up to her feet. Yeah. And they start dancing more and, you know, the parries and the the blocks, you can hear their swords hitting. And Arya's like spinning around and just like... The music is getting more intense as the, the faster they're going. And, and cuts up to um, Sansa and we end up Baelish again. And their, Sansa's mouth is like hanging open like she's just yeah, like, like blown what away. Like, where, where did she get all these like crazy moves? And finally, Brienne kind of gets the upper hand on Arya, and Arya drops her sword. Oh, shit. And Brienne strikes at Arya again, but Arya dodges. And as she's dodging, she grabs the Valyrian steel dagger, and she has it in one hand. Pulls it out into her right hand. And then she, like, flips it over into her left hand, and right as Brienne goes to strike, she has it, like, up against Brienne's neck. Yeah, well... And they stop there. So Brienne had had baited Pod earlier and then told him, don't let your opponent lead you, right? That's exactly what San- what Arya did to Brienne here. She pulls out the dagger in her right hand and kind of ling- hangs it out there lingering so that Brienne will go to reach to grab her wrist. And the second that Brienne uses her arm to and like to, to and uh, uses her arm and goes to grab her wrist, she flips it to her other hand, knowing that Br- Brienne's like or both of her arms are occupied basically and has a yep. bam like a move right has a an opening right for her neck that she goes for. And notice that she goes for the neck with the cat's paw dagger. Yeah, and Baelish oh, is looking down man. on them. Thought True. that was a great little foreshadow of. Arya's first kill that we know of with the cat's paw dagger is Peter Baelish and she yep. slits his throat. Totally. And so I love the, that they pause in this, it's like a great photo, like a photographic image of them 
you know, both with their swords at each other's. Yeah. So cool. And they're both smiling. (laughs) Yeah. Who taught you to do that? No one. (laughs) So great. I just love it so much. Yeah. And so Arya, you know, gets her, gets needle and Sansa just kind of, you know, is I think a little shocked. She looks like legit scared and then like storms away before Arya can look up and even see that she was there. And Peter Baelish, he remains on the balcony and he's yeah. staring at Arya. And, and holy they, shit, they, Arya sees Baelish. This is the first time she's seen first him. First time. Yeah. And Baelish kind of like nods to her. Bows. And I've always wondered, did we, was I on the podcast when we covered the episode when they were at Hall and Arya was serving Tywin and Littlefinger was there? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, I can't remember what you guys had talked about if you thought Peter Baelish recognized Arya Harrenhal. Oh, shit. Because that was the last time that they saw each other. Right, so she has seen him before. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. And I feel like he's nodding at her like, I, I recognize you. you. Huh, interesting. And I had another interesting take on this moment as well that I had never thought of before. So the way that that Arya baits Brienne here by leaving the dagger just hanging there for Brienne to try to grab. I think that Sansa baits Littlefinger here as well, because we already have seen that Sansa and Arya are getting along well at this point. They're hugging, they're hanging out with Bran, they're walking around together. And then suddenly, even though Sansa knows Arya is a killer and has a list, etc., all of a sudden she's like acting very like, weird towards Arya and like storming off and acting all mad. I think like what I was saying with, with her um, and like Littlefinger with John and everything. I think she's trying to, to um, bait Baelish. Yeah. The way that she was making, trying to make Littlefinger desperate before by acting like she didn't need him to make him sort of act out and make himself more significant. Give him kind of an option to... Yeah, she like she makes it obvious that there's tension here with Arya. She's throwing the dog a bone. Yeah, exactly. And giving Littlefinger the idea that, oh, I can try to, you know, exaggerate this tension between the two of them and insert myself, you know. So I think that she may be actually not freaked out here, but she's just baiting Littlefinger into taking action. I think she's genuinely shocked at Arya's skill set mm-hmm. and totally agree with you that she's, she's using, using that to, yeah. to bait Baelish. I agree. Yeah, I think so. And that, that makes it cool. It creates like a sort of symmetric thing where both of the Stark women here are baiting people and um, getting them in the position that they want them to be in. So, mm, so amazing. Yeah. Whereas the first time I saw this, I was like, oh shit. Like there's still some, like really is tension between Arya and Sansa. I think it's kind of fake at this point. I think it's totally. kind of a show. For I think her finger. shock is genuine that right. Arya is so talented, but the tension is derived from Sansa's plan to get rid of Littlefinger. Exactly. Because no one wants Littlefinger there. Sansa doesn't want him there. Nobody right. does. No one trusts him. But she feels like, how can I send this guy away, this really dangerous person away who helped us? I have to get, I got, I have to get him to do something that I can point the finger at and execute him. Right. Exactly. We'll never be safe if Littlefinger remains alive. Gotta which, set him up for something. 
which I think the next episode we can start talking a little bit about my theory of Littlefinger actually still being alive. Ooh, all right. Sounds good. Yeah. So that's that's my number two. All right. What's your number two? My number two actually was first contact with between John and Danny. Oh, okay. Cool. So do you want to go into the battle next? We could do that or we could save it for last and cover our notes first. It's up to you. Why don't we change it up? Why don't we do that? Okay. Sounds good to me. Since it's at the end. Let's uh, start off at a random place with notes where John and Davos are walking along outside of Dragonstone and they come upon Missande. Okay. But first they're talking amongst each other. And Davos is asking John, this is after the Dragonglass cave scene. He's like, what, what do you think of her? And John, he's like, who? It's like, you know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Danny. What do you think about Danny, John? Come on. She has a good heart. <laughs> right. It sort of reminded me of, of uh, the interaction that he had with Sam, where Sam's Sam. like, what was she like? And he, she, she was, what did, what does he say? He says, he says something stupid. And Sam's like, oh. She had red hair. Right, right, right. <laughs> Sam's like, how big were her feet? Come on, John. Like, give me a real answer here. <laughs> so Davos is the same thing. Like, John's dodging the real, the, the good stuff. And Davos wants to know. And he's like, I think she's got a good heart. <laughs> I've seen you staring at that heart. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I loved it. John's like, there's no time for that. He doesn't deny it. He's like, there's no time. I saw the Night King Davos. I looked into his eyes. How many men do we have in the North to fight him? 10,000? Less? Fewer. (laughs) Yes, fewer. (laughs) Gotta love that, right? And John's like, what? And and Davos just keeps going with the conversation. He doesn't even, like, it's such a great harken back to Stannis. Yeah, exactly. Because um, the same conversation is being had in, in the north. The one of, somebody's given a speech at the Night's Watch, asking about how many men they have, if or like some quantity. And Davos corrects him when he says less, or Stannis corrects him when he says less and says fewer. And Davos that time goes what? And, it, and it like, and Stannis <laughs> just ignores it. And this yeah. time, Davos ignores John when he says what. So I thought that was so funny the way that it like got switched around a little bit. But Davos did end up figuring out. Yeah, so great. But I I love how Davos did end up figuring out what Stannis was talking about. And he learned his grammar lesson. And I've learned it too. And I've employed this a number of times thanks to Game of Thrones for sure. That's awesome. (laughs) Definitely. Nice. Um, So speaking of good hearts, Davos says, look, it's Missande of North. Sir Davos, Lord Snow. And uh, she calls him Lord Snow. Yeah. No, that doesn't sound right. King John. John? And John says it doesn't matter. And I was thinking, why doesn't it matter? Maybe because he's already made up his mind that he's going to kneel to Danny. At some point. Yeah. So whatever his title is now, it's like it's going to be irrelevant soon enough anyway, because he's going to kneel and that title will be null and void, essentially. Um, Could be. Yeah, because then like short, the scene immediately after this, where he says it doesn't matter, he calls her the queen to Theon, too. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that, that makes was part, a little of more my, sense. part of my logic when I was wondering that at the time. Got it. Got it. That makes more sense. Right. So um, they start asking each other questions and talking. It's kind of cool seeing these characters get a chance to sort of relate to each other and learn a little bit about each other after having spent their whole entirety of the show up to this point on different continents, you know, <laughs> yeah. totally different life experiences. 
So Missanda is like, you know, forgive me, but can I ask you a question? Your name is Jon Snow, but your father's name was Ned Stark. What's up with that, basically? <laughs> and I'm a bastard. Yeah, I'm a bastard. <laughs> and how many and I times? love that his facial expression when he says it. He like doesn't want to say that word. Yeah, he hates it. And it's he like says such it. a bad word for wonder, him. Yeah, I wonder how many times he said I'm a bastard throughout this show. There's so many times. It's, it's hilarious. He's like, my, my mother and father weren't married. He explains the concept of a bastard to her. And Davos asks her if that's something that they do in Narth. And she's like, no, actually in Narth, we don't have marriage at all. So the concept of a bastard doesn't exist. And I loved Davos's his response. He's like, oh, that's, that, that sounds liberating and looks over at John. And I'm just thinking like, man, imagine if there was no such thing as John or as, as bastards in Westeros and John wouldn't have had this whole complex theoretically and stuff like that. It's kind of funny. That sounds Um, pretty liberating. Davos says. Yeah. So John starts asking questions. He's sort of, they sort of decide, like I mentioned before, take Tyrion up on his idea of asking Danny's followers who are on Dragonstone, like why they follow her. So John's like, why'd you leave your homeland? And Davos is like, if I may, how did a slave girl come to advise Danny? And she goes on to her. She bought me from my master and set me free. Yeah. But, but that was good of her. Right. But you're serving her now. So what's up with that? Right. And she's like, I serve her because I want to, because I believe in her and I chose her. And John has a great question. He's like, and if you wanted to sail home to North tomorrow, then she would give me a ship and wish me good fortune. And John's you like, believe that? Yeah, he's like, for real? You think she actually would? And Missandei's like, I know it. All of us who came from, from Essos, we believe in her. She's not our queen because she's the daughter of some king we never knew. She's the queen we chose. And that mirrors what John or what Lyanna Stark had said about John, you know, like he he's a may yeah he may be a bastard but he's got stark blood in his veins he's the king in the north and it also mirrors what john had just said about or what, what davos had just said about john when he met danny last episode that he he's 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 not king because he's he doesn't have a noble name he's a bastard and they chose him right he doesn't have a birthright he's a goddamn bastard they chose him so it's like we're getting these, there's such parallels between these two characters. So with all this talking up of Danny and Missandei talking about how everybody loves her and chose her, Davos has a little joke with John. He's like, You'll, would you forgive me if I switched sides? <laughs> like I may join team Danny, John. Beautiful women, smiles around, all around. Like, <laughs> I thought that was really funny. And that's when John sees the Greyjoy ship. Dun, dun, dun. So what do you have for your first note? My first note that I have, we're on the King's Road down by High Garden, and we have right. High Garden in the background. Start of the episode. Yeah. Um, we they're see leading the loot all train. of the carriages. Yes, the loot and the gold. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of gold, man, how about that one wagon all full full of gold? <laughs> it seemed to be put in there very messily. I kind of wanted to like neaten it <laughs> up a bit. That's funny. Yeah. And Jamie goes in there and grabs a big old bag and hands it Tosses to, to Braun. And I'm like, nope. Gold is nope, so freaking he heavy, goddamn man. Goddamn castle, right? Yeah, the castle. Yeah, of course. But <laughs> but I was thinking that the the way that Bronn was holding that bag, it didn't make it look heavy enough. Gold is super heavy, really dense and really really heavy. heavy. Yeah, yeah so, I don't think you could just toss that bag. Right, like the way that the slaves carry the chest of gold to Danny when she's in Yunkai. 
Um, nope. <laughs> you don't carry chests <laughs> of gold like that with two people. It's way too heavy. You need a fucking forklift. Okay. Yeah, literally. Yeah. So, um, Bron's like, this is all great, but you know, I deal, man. want my castle and he points to high garden. He's like, how yeah, about that one? Right. It's available. Wasn't I just saying Bron for high castle too? Tormund for Dreadfort, Bron for high castle. High Garden. I mean, High Garden, High, high Castle. That's a high great castle. show. That way. works too. Yeah, The Man in the High Castle. Great show. And Jamie's like, uh, you don't want High Garden. He's like, why Why wouldn't I? Like, give me one reason. It's like, I beg to differ. <laughs> you know, and Jamie's like, well, we're at war. Danny, Danny can just come take it. Which, you know, may or may not happen. But, you know, basically, you should just hold tight until the war is over. And then you can... Pick any castle you want. Fucking son of a bitch. Bron is just getting more and more fed up with this bullshit, too. Like, he is getting really, really frustrated at this point. Yeah, because he was super close to his deal with Tyrion. I mean, he was to marry Lala Stokeworth. He was going to get his little castle and live happily ever after. And he's still basically a sellsword to Jamie. like, three seasons later. Yep. He's like, dude, you owe me. You yeah, owed like me for, for a real. while. I know the Lannisters pay their debts and shit, but like I'm, I'm cashing in my like your time chips. is up basically. Yeah, yeah. I, I just want Bron to get his castle. He needs to get a castle. Yeah. So Bron's trying to figure out why Jamie's all pissed off when they're leaving High Garden, and he's like, "Come on, what could possibly what could you possibly have to be upset about? You just won the biggest prize in the world. Come on, you can tell me what the Queen of Thorns give you one last prick in the balls before saying <laughs> goodbye." And I'm like, "Did she ever?" Bam. Yes, she did. And uh, Jamie's like, "I'll save my confessions for the High Septon." Brown's like, "There is no more High Septon, bro." Not anymore. Your girlfriend slash sister saw to that. Yeah, exactly. Sort of reminding Jamie what a bitch Cersei is. <laughs> Uh, it's pretty funny. So Bron goes, oh, so is that why you're so fucking glum? Your new wit- riches weighing you down? He goes, those are not my riches. That gold belongs to the Iron Bank. We pay our debts. Right. Yeah. Because Jamie had said, besides, think of the upkeep. The more you own, the more it weighs you down. He's like, it'd like, just be whatever. a hassle. It's <laughs> like, whatever. He goes, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You pay your debts. Just not to me. Yeah. He's pissed. And so Jamie's like irritated at him too, though. He's like Ron of the Blackwater, right. formerly of whatever nameless shit heap you're from, yeah. with a saddlebag full of gold, complaining about not getting paid. <laughs> yeah. He, and then that's when he goes, you know, let's win the war and then you can choose any castle you want, basically. He goes, yeah, I'm sure Queen Cersei's reign is going to be peaceful and prosperous, <laughs> quiet and peaceful. Stranger things have happened. Like what? Yeah, Bron is like snapping back at Jamie well, here. He's pissed. He's super, super irritated. Yeah. I would be too. He's justified. Like, Dude, yeah. I want my mo- I want my money. Not cool. He needs to get back by Tyrion's side. Working, you know, working with Tyrion again. If Drogon will forgive him after he shoots him this episode. Oh, <laughs> oh man! As badly yeah. as I want Bron to team up with Tyrion and everything, that may be an obstacle in the future. Bron has shot Drogon. Yeah, definitely. Drogon's going to need definitely. to forgive Bronn before he can join Team Danny. <laughs> yeah. Trial by Drogon. Yeah. That's a good way. If the dragon sniffs you and eats you, then it's kind of like Unsullied. 
If the dragon sniffs you and eats you, oh well, sayonara. Yeah. If he sniffs you and likes you, then you're a part of our team. Right. Or like the witch trials, except you might survive. <laughs> like if you if oh, you damn. sink, you're innocent. If you're Bob, you're guilty and we need to kill you <laughs> if you float. Have you ever watched the show Salem? No. It's about the witch trials. Nice. It's pretty intense. It's like not the greatest show, but I, I like it. It's it's good. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So, Q, Randall, and Dickon Tarly, they come riding up and they, um, you know, kind of address Jamie and they start talking about the fact that the granary, the granaries are being emptied and loaded into the wagons. And Jamie is like, well, what about the current harvest? And he goes, well, Dickon says, yeah, Dickon, we have, <laughs> I can't even say that name without kind of smirking. Yep. Um, that they have teams of men collecting it from the farmers and Jamie looks over at Bronn, yet another quest for him to go on before uh, he gets his castle. Sir Bronn, will you accompany the Tarleys to help them accelerate this process? Not much for shoveling wheat. <laughs> no, but motivating reluctant farmers to hand over their harvest. I think you might have a big talent for that, he says. And I think Randall's a little irritated at this, too, because he's supposed to be a ranking general in Jamie's army, and he's going around to, like, little farmers stealing all their wheat. Right, true. But then again, Jamie's the commander of the army, and he's overseeing the stealing of the wheat, you know, so. I just think Randall thinks that he should be doing something a little bit more generalish than. Sure. Because he kind of, like, looks at Jamie and he goes, my lord, and just rides off. Right. And Dickon does it, too. And then Bronn does it, too, like. Bronn is so My pissed, Lord. <laughs> so mad as he rides off. Cutting to the Red Keep Council Room with Cersei and Tycho yes. Nestoris from the Iron Bank. Yes. Why don't you take it away? Sure. So Cersei's meeting with Tycho and Tycho is impressed. She's been talking a big game and it's about to pay off. And yes, he, she has. he's like, damn, I must say, honestly, I don't think the Iron Bank has ever had a huge a debt like this paid of this size paid off in a single installment before. This is pretty nuts. He's like, I thought that Taiwan was, was pretty cool and effective and efficient, but you're like redefining those words. We're going to need to call yeah. the Bravosi Dictionary Company and have this changed. <laughs> <laughs> and Cersei's like, you're too kind. And he's like, no, I'm not. I'm not kind. And uh, I'm not a lord because she calls him my lord. He's like, I'm merely an instrument of the institution I represent. And that sort of made me, made, gave me like faceless man vibes because that's like sort of the way no one is, you know, for the face, for the, the many faced God. They're just sort of instruments of the God. Um, and they're both, these are both like Bravosi institutions, right? The faceless man and the Iron Bank. So there's often people wonder if there's like a connection. Oh, yeah. Makes Definitely. sense. You know, the Iron totally. Bank could be sending faceless men all around the world to help them get their debts back. Get their debts. Yeah. Like if they use the uh, the Golden Company, like we learned to have debts paid, then they would probably use faceless men, any option at their disposal. And if they have mad money, that's what faceless men, you know, like they like that type of shit. right? <laughs> they, they can be bought, I think. Right. Because there's, there's some conversation at some point where somebody talks about hiring a faceless man and they're like, oh, it'd be too expensive. Oh, yeah. So they may fund faceless men to collect. Yeah, exactly. I like that theory. Yeah. So um, he's like, this is, honestly, this is crazy. Like the, the current math of our situation is like really good. 
the gold, though, like it is going to be here, right? (laughs) And Cersei's like, yeah, don't worry. Like my brother is is supervising the transportation operation himself personally. And uh, I like this line or I didn't like it, but I thought this line from Tycho Nestoris was pretty telling here. He's like, some at the Iron Bank will be disappointed. They've grown rather fond of your of your interest payments. And that sounds about right. <laughs> the bankers right. love putting you in debt. The more debt, the better, basically, because you are just yeah, owned the by the more them. money they make. Yeah. So I'm like, that sounds about right. And uh, Cersei's like, well, we must devise a new way to raise their spirits again. Obviously, meaning we're going to need some capital coming up hey, here. We're going to pay you and then we're going to take a loan out like yeah, a 10 seconds one. later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's like, I, I have only one goal right now, and that's reestablishing control over this whole continent and every person on it. And I thought that was important too. She's such a control freak and she always has been, Mm -hmm. you know, like the way she was bossing around her friend in the woods, going to see the woods, witch and everything. And just the way she talks about wanting to control everybody here, wanting to control every person on the continent. She's just such a control freak, man. It's horrible. Tycho's like, well, I do see quite a great deal of potential in this whole operation. And I imagine you'll need funding. (laughs) She's like, I will. I need to expand my armies, my navies. Kyburn has made overtures to the Golden Company in Essos. And I think this may be the first time she refers to Kyburn as her hand. She outright says oh, yeah. here, my hand, yeah. Kyburn. And this is when Tycho's like, ah, oh, the Golden Company, they've helped us before in recovering significant sums um, from parties who have fallen into deep arrears. He said arrears. I thought that was an interesting word. I don't remember having heard that before. Have you? No, I don't think so. Yeah, so that was kind of cool. And I thought this would make kind of an interesting little like spin-off miniseries, The Golden Company Collecting Debts for the Iron Bank. That would be cool, right? Yeah. Following them around like the exploits of the the top-tier sell swords of the Golden Company. That'd be sweet. <clears throat> Bitter Steel, see what his his ancestors are up to. So Cersei's like perfect, because I have some things I'd like to get back that belong to me as well. And, and she can count on the Iron Bank's support as soon as the gold arrives, Tycho says. So I thought this was funny. This line early on in the episode here, rest assured, your grace, you can count on the Iron Bank's support as soon as the gold arrives. It serves to <laughs> sort of, yeah, it ser- serves to sort of build tension later on in the episode as we're wondering during the attack, the dragon attack, is the gold going to make it to to King's Landing? Like, you know, that whole um, the recovery of the gold comes into question later. So we're like, it becomes like something we're wondering about towards the end of the episode. Yeah. We do learn though, that they do recover all the gold, unfortunately for. They do. Yeah. The gold is safely in the red key or in King's landing before Danny. strikes. Among the first of the uh, carriages in the loot train, apparently. Which is crazy to me because I feel like when they're leaving high garden, it was like one of the last. Well, it couldn't have been one of the last because it was being it was already loaded and moving while they were still emptying the granaries and oh, filling. Oh, that's true. Filling, that's true. Good uh, yeah. point. And they yep, hadn't received right. anything from the uh, the neighboring areas yet for the farms of the local people. That's right. So yeah, that's it for that note. What's your next note, Mira? Mira, yeah. Nice. So Baelish, we we cut off. This was. My number four and your number three, right? Something like um, that. <laughs> okay. Um, 
So as Baelish leaves, Mira enters and she, she immediately, I love this so much. She immediately notices his chair. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, where was that when I was carrying you around? <laughs> Dragging you through the north. Oh my God. Yeah. She could have used like, some skis. She's like, that's a great skis. idea. I wish I would have thought of that months and months and months ago. Right. That's hilarious. And yeah. I, I, I didn't even think about it on that level that she's like, God damn it. I could have used that tech a couple weeks ago. It was literally the first thing she noticed. She's like, God damn, right. I could have used that. I'm, I'm like, I was just thinking about it as like, oh, cool, newfangled tech. Oh, that's pretty sweet. Like, I was just thinking like, cool, we're seeing technology, technology developed in this story. You know? Oh, how funny. I took it as like, where was that yeah. when I was dragging you I think all over the north? Your interpretation wall. is much more poignant for sure. Because then she goes, it's a very good idea. Right. Like, I right. wish I would have thought about it myself. Yep. So funny. So Bran, Bran asks, you're, you're leaving? And she goes, I really don't want to leave you. But when they come, I need to be with my family. And you're safe, as safe as anyone can be now. You don't need me anymore. No, And Bran is such an asshole. Yeah, nope, I uh, don't. Peace out, homegirl. Thanks for re- dragging me around the north. Yeah, it's like he's so disconnected from like, like the basic human understanding of emotion at this point. He's like absorbed so much that he's like had to build like a barrier. There's like, ah, it's so weird. There's like a barrier that's been formed between him and like being able to, we get a little, we get a little bit of that here. Um, actually in a few lines from now. And she goes, are you serious? That's all you have to say to me. And he goes, well, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. For helping and me. this is where she starts getting super emotional. Yeah. Because she's like, my brother died for you. Hodor and Summer. Summer died for you. I, I almost died him. for you, Bran. Like, what the fuck? Snap out of it, you asshole. Yeah, wake up. Like, you're oh, such man. an asshole right now. He, he, I was thinking like, man, he totally just got fried by being in there for too long and going too deep in the Weirwood network. And she's like, Bran. And he goes, I'm not really. Not anymore. I remember what it felt like to be Brandon Stark, but I remember so much else now. Damn. That's such a weighted line. Yeah. So intense. And Mira starts crying and it's like, she's crying, but there's also moments where like a smile flickers across her face. And I feel like it's like a mixture of sadness that Bran is gone. Like she says he died in that cave, but But that he fulfilled his purpose and that she helped him get there. Yeah. There's like little bits of happiness in there that he's fulfilling this destiny that he's meant for, that he's become the three eyed Raven. Um, It's a really intense moment for sure. Got to feel bad for Mira, right? After everything. And she can't like get him to, to relate to her on an emotional level to understand her or show the appreciation that she deserves. Yeah. Cause she knew him as Brandon Stark, like, Right. Traveling up to the wall and then the whole journey, you know, past the wall. It's like everyone that she traveled with in her mind has died. For, and and while for what? Brand did f- fulfill her pur- his purpose of becoming the three eyed raven. I think she feels terribly alone. But he hasn't like done anything yet with it either. So it's like at this point, like there's been nothing resulting from becoming the three eyed raven. So she's like, what was it all f- even for? You know, maybe it won't even mean anything. <laughs> That's true. That that would be a horrible outcome. But right. Like everybody died and Bran just gets back to Winterfell and like hasn't done anything yet. You know, like so mm. 
Nothing's paid off yet. Not yet, but he does get Littlefinger killed. Yeah. I like, um, I liked in the scene too, how Mira is like, um, she's like, when winter comes, I need to be with my family. You know, when, when the undead come down, I need to be with my family. And I, and I was like, Oh, maybe she will be with her family, but at Winterfell, Maybe. I think she's going to come back to Winterfell. Yeah, because Howland, Howland Reed needs to show up to to tell the tale of the Tower of Joy, you know, and confirm what Bran and what Samwell will be claiming about Jon that he was, you know, that he is Aegon Targaryen. Man, so crazy. Yeah, so crazy. Yeah, and so Mira's just like you. You died in that cave, and just. What goes to leave and pauses at the door to look at him and just walks out and Bran just like robotically turns his head back Robo towards the Bran. window. <laughs> Robo Robo Bran. And uh yeah, just is like staring out the window, just blank. So yeah, that's it for Mira. That's the last we see of her thus far. Um hopefully we'll get a return like we just mentioned in season eight with Howland. Yeah. I think that's gonna happen. Yeah, I hope so. All right, so that brings us to the big loot train battle. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> All right, why don't you uh, start off with it? Oh, man. So my number one is embedded in here somewhere. Oh, okay. Yeah, when we get to it, just you know, mention that yeah, this is I'll your number one. Yeah, I'll call it out. So... They're delivering the gold and the food to King's Landing and you just see all the carts of the barley and the wheat and the supplies coming from the reach up to to the capital. An endless train. It really is an endless train. And so we do discover, and it actually, I think you were the one that told me this because I thought the gold was lost in this battle. And I had totally forgotten that we get this um, from Randall Tarley that the gold is actually safely through the gates. Ah, uh, yes. I forgot about that too. I missed that. All of the gold is safely through the gates of King's Landing, Randall says to Jamie. Yeah, so when I first actually watched it, like, the first few times, I thought Danny like, burned all the gold up. Right, yeah, this like, is oh, the fuck. first first line of this scene is <laughs> Randall saying all the gold is safely through. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you hear that first and then you just forget about it because all this other crazy crap is happening, right? It's amazing. So, Randall tells Jamie that this um this line is really getting stretched thin. Yeah. That we need to start really getting these wagons over the Blackwater Rush in case in case we're ambushed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what the, yeah. And what a place that they're at. I wonder where they filmed this. Jeez, like those, with the big bluffs behind yeah, them. Yeah, those massive buttes and everything. Gorgeous. Oh I was thinking, man, God. I want I want to put my castle on top of one of those buttes. Yeah, totally. Fuck yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Have a big zip line down to the Blackwater Rush. <laughs> nice. That'd be so badass. <laughs> I was thinking like build a staircase in the mountain going up to the oh, castle. That'd be sick. Kind of like the bloody gate. I have a, I built a castle like that in Minecraft. <laughs> with a staircase going through the mountain. Oh, nice. That's yeah, pretty cool. Showing off for my friend's son. <laughs> Yeah, kind of like the the bloody gates yeah. kind of idea where you can surround the the, the butte, but you got to go up this tiny little staircase to get to the mount or to get to the castle at right. the top. Yeah, totally. Or Just like the air, the air, or scale area. the mountain. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, so um, 
Jamie agrees with him that they're stretched thin and Randall Randall Such suggests that we should flog the stragglers. Jamie's <laughs> like, come on, like let's at least give them some, let's you know, a heads him, up like, first. A give them a warning. chance to speed up without that because these guys fought well for us uh, just like yesterday. So we, <laughs> we don't want to beat them mercilessly for being tired after having um, destroyed our enemies, right? <laughs> yeah. And Randall, again, is kind of irritated at Jamie. Yeah, he's, he's such like, a dick. I'm supposed to be your general and you're not listening to what I have to say. And uh-huh. he just kind of turns and rides off. And I like Braun and Jamie, they kind of exchange glances like, what the fuck? Right. <laughs> like, flogging stragglers. Okay. Moving on. Um, so Dickon sees Jamie and starts a, you know, a conversation and very, um, <laughs> Jamie again. Dickon goes for Jamie and Jamie calls him Rickon again. Yep. Screws up his name again. <laughs> and Dickon corrects him and Brian just starts busting yeah, up laughing. Just dying laughing. <laughs> Openly laughing in Dickon's face. <laughs> It's such like a meta joke it. too, because it's like it's it's referring how referencing how all of the viewers of the show think Dickon is like a ridiculous name, you know what I mean? So it's sort it of it's totally so a funny. meta joke. It's great. So Jamie says, you know, I heard that you fought really bravely at High Garden. You know, was it your first battle? And he goes, Yep, mm. it was my first battle and and it was glorious. Yeah, he kind of like you looks know, around and he's just like, just says the line, like, like Sansa, like, I'm loyal to my precious King Joffrey. Exactly. <laughs> it's like the, 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 the young men are supposed to love battle and it's supposed to be like this experience that they'll never forget and that the they should love of battle. and yeah. just, you know, powerful and glorious. It was a perfect Especially because, yeah, that's what like Randall's all about too. The glory of, you know, battle and mm-hmm. combat and everything. So. It's exactly what you'd expect Dick on Tarly to say. And so Bron's like, let's let's be real. Yeah, come on, your, bro. Your dad's not here. Like, you don't need to you don't need to say that. Like, we've been in battle. We know. Yeah. We know what you're feeling right now. And he basically Dickon says, you know He's not stoked about this whole situation, no, having to turn on the Tyrells and whatnot. Yeah, he goes, I've been pledged to House Tyrell my entire life. I knew some of those men's. I hunted with them. Spent time with them. Yeah, they were my friends, essentially. Yeah, he's, it's fucked. And it's interesting, this whole scene, it's like a total red herring as they're like introducing Dickon and they recasted him and they he's like this big, huge, badass looking dude with this cool armor and they're mm-hmm. making him seem important here. Like a scene without Randall Tarly while we're, we're talking to Dickon. Yeah, like maybe something will... Yeah, it seems like they're propelling Dickon into the story, like he's going to be an upcoming character that we should focus on. And so it's like a total red herring, red herring because he's going to die next episode. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> this is all true. like all of Dickon like Useless. talking about the philosophy of of battle and like all of this stuff about his experiences. It's all just pointless dialogue because he's about to die. <laughs> totally. It's funny. And so, um, you know, Jamie. I like Jamie's reasoning here. He goes, the men didn't deserve to die, but Lady Olenna chose to betray the queen and support the Targaryen girl. So here we are. Yep. Can't, can't argue and with Dickon's that. Dickon's like, 
Well, I didn't expect it to smell like that. <laughs> so good. You never think about like that, like the, the smell of something that you're watching on TV. Typically, unless you like hear flies flying around, you know, you're watching a battle. You don't think about it. I, I would love smell vision because I like to watch. I would like I like to watch cooking shows. OK, I'm oh. sure viewers have gathered that I like to cook. <laughs> yeah, you just get you'd like you'd end up like 500 pounds because you'd just be smelling all this delicious food all day and you'd just be eating and eating. Oh, my God. I watched I watched Food Network like a crackhead when yeah. I can. Um, nice. And I watch diners, drive-ins and dives a lot. And Guy Fieri actually lives up in Sonoma County. So he's not too far away from me. He's actually kind of up by jo- where Johnny Stower lives. Um, but he lives up in Sonoma County and he has coined the word smell a vision because he's like, I wish you could smell this food. Oh, nice. I'm like, yeah, me too, dude. <laughs> You're like making a giant cinnamon roll in my face and I would like to smell it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was thinking about cinnamon rolls too when I was just imagining food that you'd be smelling through a TV. Mm, That's funny. Cinnamon that we rolls. Both went to cinnamon yes. rolls. Ugh. And I love Brian here. He's super funny. He's men shit themselves when they die. They didn't teach that you at fancy, fancy lad, school. lad school. Oh man, so funny. <laughs> And he's like, well, I learned that when I was five, you know, he killed a guy when he was six or something. <laughs> but, um, I thought that, um, I was just thinking like, oh man, if, if it stinks like that, just imagine how bad the battle mm. of the bastards much of, must have stunk mm. with the bodies piled up and everything like just the shit, like immediately after everybody dies Guts everywhere. And then like in the following days when it's sitting there, like spoiling in the sun like oh my god can you imagine how ruthless it would have smelled outside of winterfell Ew, oh my god like For they say days you can, and yeah. weeks like rotting flesh yeah, Ew, they, it's so gross they must have had people go out and clean it up and like you know burn the bodies and shit like how that how would you like that job yeah that would suck it, it, just imagine they say you can smell king's landing from miles away right olena's yeah. like smells the shit <laughs> from miles away you probably smell battles like this from miles away too probably yeah Ew. Gross. Yeah. And we discover that Braun learned what battles smell like when he was five years old. Yeah. He was a badass from birth. And Braun pauses and strains to hear a, a, a faint noise in the distance. Yeah. Braun hears it first. He hears something off in the distance. Bron, Jamie's like, what are you doing? And he goes, Shh, listen. Listen. And you hear the thunder of thousands of horse hooves in the distance really really far off and yeah and then before you see the dothraki you hear their screams come over yeah oh, yeah so this is actually kind of the start of my number one nice is the the beginning of the battle and like you said we start hearing high-pitched Shrieks. war cries and shrieking and i instantly knew the dothraki oh, yeah. are coming yeah. <laughs> oh my god. And they they start Jamie hears it too and the look on his face is like fuck, we're fucked, we're so fucked, we're spread super thin. Randall nailed it like if we get ambushed right now we're fucked. So he starts taking off and he starts yelling yelling spears and shields, spears and shields because they know that they're these are horses coming up. So they kind of form what was really similar to the Battle of the Bastards, like this wall of sh- shields with spears sticking out of it. Right, a phalanx, a Greek phalanx. A phalanx, okay, that's what it's called. Cool. Um, so men start kind of 
running and arming themselves and Bronn starts yelling orders to, to get in line. And, and they're riding the horses along the line, making sure that everybody mm-hmm. knows to get ready, arm and up. This is, oh, you man. know, they're, they're ready for battle. They think that this is just going to be a battle. They're ready to go. They, they know what they need to do. They, they've had their orders. The archers shoot the arrows, the spear people do the spears and the shield people are kind of the wall, if you will. Yep. And then all of a sudden, you know, the screaming starts getting closer. And on the horizon, we see spreading as spreading wide as far as the eye can see these little tiny dots of like little dollops of brown and white little (laughs) dollops across. And I, oh my God, I remember watching this first time and I looked over at Dave and I was like, yes. Oh my God. And I had like goosebumps all over all the hair on my body was like standing up. I said, this is going to be so seeing the Dothraki in battle. And Jamie can't believe this shit. He's looking over the hill. Like what the fuck? What is that? You know, almost home and God damn it. You know, he looks so mad. And so they, they start riding over the hill and they're doing their war cries and, um, you know, Randall, everyone, everyone's barking orders at the footman, and you know, Carmen look, looks scared. Man, he looks yeah. like nervous at this it's point. Like, Pulls fuck? out his sword. This is not how traditional fighting goes. Like they don't hear these like war cries, so they, I think they're just like waiting to see kind of like what this is and who it is. Right. And Jamie had and talked about Dothraki before. He's like, oh, we don't like. He he didn't think that the Dothraki would be a big threat or something. Like I remember. Um, Back in season one, Robert and Ned were talking about it too. Like Robert thought well, they that were the, on the other side of the world. Right, and, that's what Ned you know. was saying. Robert thought it was a threat, though. Oh, it was when Robert was talking with Cersei, and he says, um, "Only a fool would meet the Dothraki in an open field." Only a fool would meet the Dothraki in an open field. What do you know? Doesn't Cersei call Jaime a beautiful fool a couple times? And mm-hmm. maybe I don't know. I can't remember. Maybe that's the books. So he was right. The Dothraki like come just row, mow them all down. Like, oh, they don't even stand a chance. So Braun looks at Jamie. He's like, you need to get back to King's Landing like now. Right. I don't mad, think we're going to survive this. As mad as he is, he does try to save Jamie here. He's like, there is a sea. There is a sea of Dothraki, like a true sea of them coming towards them. They're spread super thin. They're not prepared for this. They're fucked. And. He's like, oh I'm God. not abandoning my army. I'm not abandoning my army. He's like, dude, you're the commander. You're not an infantryman. These fuckers are about to swamp us. Like, you have to get back. And then <laughs> all of a sudden. We can hold them off, he says. We can hold them off and we hear. Nope. The screech of a dragon. Oh, and, man. Oh, my God. Justin was so, he was such a little baby. And we were watching this, you know, as it aired. And so he's like asleep in his bedroom, which is literally right next to our living room. And we had it on like kind of low because Game of Thrones can get really loud. Sure. <laughs> and I was like, turn it up, turn it up. Yeah. <laughs> and the look on Jamie's face. Oh my God. When that dragon swoops oh, down out of the clouds. Out of the clouds comes this ginormous dragon. Flying over the Dothraki, the Holy wingspan, fuck. I mean, hundreds of horses wide, 
just, I don't know, hundreds, but many, many, many horses wide come swooping in. And the look on Jamie's face is like, (gasps) holy fuck, wonder and dread and just amazement. What the fuck are my eyes seeing? Yeah. Yeah. And Danny looks fucking furious too, mm, riding on Drogon's back. Some shit up. She looks so mad, and this is like the most mad we've ever heard her say, Dracaris. Dracaris, and we get the. (laughs) Dracaris! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And. The Lannister soldiers just go up in flames and they start screaming. Everyone's in shock. And Dickon, not- Dickon just barely avoided not being like being roasted here and looks at him through the flames and his sword is just dangling downwards. His jaw is dangling downwards too. It kind of reminds me of like an extreme version of like tic-tac-toe because of the way like the fire lines just like go straight. That doesn't, they don't really expand. Oh, right, right, like, right. Like it's Dogon's like fire, it's like a single line, and so it's like you kind of like have to. She was like making like these long lines, streaks like the Nazca lines. Yeah, you could be like on either side of this fire line and survive, but the people like right down the center, you're just incinerated, incinerated. like literally turned to ash to almost dust immediately, and blowing away in the wind. Oh yeah, we get that a little later on in yeah. the battle when Jamie like so looks epic. away. So oh, epic. <laughs> and Jamie starts. Well, okay. Well, first, the men burst into flames, and then the Dothraki screamers ride over the flames, right through the through hole the made by Drogon. <laughs> Dude, like, so let's go hardcore! Shit up! And one the, guy jumps off the top of his horse over yeah, people like, into a crowd, and then just starts slaughtering people. <laughs> and oh fuck! And so Jamie's screaming, you know, hold the line. It's like fuck, run! <laughs> What are you doing? Like, run for safety. Jesus. You guys are not going to be able to stop this dragon at all. And then the main force of the Dothraki, they crash into this, the, the, the wall of shields and so the horses intense. are all starting to be impaled. And Oh, my God. Fuck. Just a clashing oh of, like, the horses running down these people and just smashing through the walls of shields and just people flying everywhere and horses flying and horse gets, like you said, impaled and flips backwards over onto <sighs> the rider and just crushes him and, like, oh, man. And, um... The the Lannister archers are firing arrows into the Dothraki and people are falling all over the place. It was very similar to the the crash of Battle of the Bastards when yeah. both cavalry kind of like hit each other around Jon Snow. Totally. Not as intense because it's a moving army against a standing still army. Right. So it had like a little bit of a different dynamic to it, but it still had that same vibe of just like clashing together. Full force. Just bang, bang. Things just bouncing off each other and colliding oh all over the place. I I was seriously like standing up at this point. I was like, this shit is about to go crazy. <laughs> this is going to be the most epic scene on the planet. And um, Danny kind of steers Drogon down the King's Road and Drogon just destroys the loot train right. destroys all of the, the bushels of wheat and the, the carriages uh, and why and is anything she, that's why here. is she destroying the supplies and not the army she needs to get rid of the people she should be 
saving the supplies. I had that same question in my notes. Like, why are you doing that? She, in fact, like she needs to just make future a, implications. Yeah, she should just make a display of force and then take the loot and the armies for her own army. You know what I mean? Yeah, and we have like carts exploding. The barrels are flying through the air, and Jamie is just like he's just kind of shell shocked. Right. He, he like he doesn't even know what to do. Like how how do you fight this? We've never seen the Dothraki fight before. We've never seen a fucking dragon before. Like. This is this is going really bad already, and we're like only ten seconds into this battle. Right, he sort of snaps into it and starts calling the archers. Archers, and archers. Danny rides up into the sky, rides way up into the sky, and she keeps doing this, like riding upwards and then just coming flying down and dive bombing just over and over. It's terrifying. <laughs> it's so amazing. I love it so much. That was the end of my number one, by the way. Okay, just like just the <laughs> beginning of that whole scene. Nice. So yeah, Danny rides up into the sky and starts flying down, dive bombing the loot train. And Jamie's telling his archers to knock the arrows and draw them. And then he looses, he's, he, he commands them to loose and hundreds of arrows fly up into the sky altogether, aiming at Drogon. And Danny sees them coming and sort of turns Drogon to swoop away, sort of. And the arrows just bounce right off him, having no effect whatsoever. I, I noted that too. It's like... Oh, so you're throwing sticks at a dragon? That's gonna. Yeah, really oh, you brought fall. a pebble to a machine gun fight. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and uh, just no use, and just roasts a whole nother group of of like she was coming right at Jamie. He fired that volley yeah. of arrows, and Drogon turned a little bit and roasted a different group of soldiers. Jamie almost got roasted there. Oh, totally. And so. Jamie turns to Bronn and he's, he's after seeing the arrows were useless. And he's like, Kyburn scorpion is over there. And Bronn has had enough of go being bossed it. around by Jamie. Yeah. He's like, go get it then. Like, fuck you. And Jamie pulls out his golden hand again. Like, Oh, I can't dig. I can't row. Remember that in Dorn. I can't shoot that either. One hand, yeah. man. He always has an excuse. Right. And Bronn's like, fuck me. And like, he kind of like rides off to go to the, uh, the uh, the the scorpion and handle it, and then Jamie draws his sword and rides off into battle with his horse, spurring his him white on. Steed. Yeah, and you hear this now. You hear hints of the reins of Castamir coming into the music. I noted that too. It's like a mix of Danny's dragon music with reins of yeah. Castamir. Get a few lines, and that's from the reins. first time we've had that combination. Yeah. of of score. And a Dothraki focuses his in on Jamie and starts riding towards him. And and he, he's got two of his Arax and he's attacking Jamie. And Jamie gets overpowered with his one sword in his left hand. And the guy's pressing down his Arax on the sword, like forcing the blade towards Jamie's neck. And then suddenly a sword busts through the guy's chest and Dickon saves Jamie's ass. Dickon stabbed that guy through the back and saved Jamie. Oh, before we go too far, one thing I wanted... I'm sorry, I'm backtracking just a little bit back into my number one. There's just so much going on in this battle. And it's hard, like, my notes are kind of all over the place. But we get a shot of the Dothraki archers. Oh, yeah, um, they're, like, standing standing on their horses. horses, Oh, it's so sick. We get this back in season one when Maester Lewin is talking to Bran about shooting an arrow from a horse's back. Ah. That the Dothraki teach the young boys at a young age to shoot arrows from a horse's back. 
So I love that we got that here. Right. This is a little different though. They're standing. Well, they're standing. Right. And um, it's really fun to stand on a horse's back when they're running. Oh, shit. I've never done that. (laughs) Um, There's a sport called vaulting. Damn. It's like gymnastics on the back of a horse while the horse is running in a circle with someone controlling the horse from the ground. And um, I was never a vaulter, but we practiced it. We had fun with it. My horse had a really wide back and was really calm. So we would stand on his back all the time and run around, but nothing like this. So I have major respect for if this, if these are true riders doing this, major, major respect for what they're doing. Totally. I mean, it's really, really cool. So, so anyways, I digress. <laughs> so, um, so then it cuts to Bron, who's now making his way over to the, to the scorpion. And now a Dothraki focuses in on Bron and starts charging him. And Bron reaches back behind his back, just like he did when he was facing off with the hound in the bar before the battle of Blackwater Bay reaches for his kukri. And just like um, Dario Naharis did, where he threw the kukri at the horse to kill Marine's champion when, Daenery, when Danny arrived at Marine, Bronn employs the same move, maybe they're brothers, and whips his kukri from behind his back to try to take out this guy on the horse. But he, he deflects the blade, flying at him with his, with his arak. And Bronn's like, fuck, pulls out his sword. And he's going to, they're charging at each other, about to clash. And the, the Dothraki guy dangles to the side off of the right side of his horse, oh super down low, and uses his Eric and just slices Bronze horse's leg off. Oh, I hate that. I hate hearing that horse scream. It like, I know. Ugh. So bad. And Bronze goes tumbling off the horse, and the horse is dying with no leg. And Bronze bag of gold falls out and spills. <laughs> And he's got to make a choice. Like, what is most important to him Do right now? Do I go now? for the gold or my life? Yeah. And he has to run. And there's this amazing shot following Bronn through the chaos and the battle and the smoke and the raging fighting. And the fighting. everywhere and the embers. Yeah. Like, we get the embers again. And Bronn's eyeliner, I have to say, I'm quite jealous. Of uh, his, he looks like a pirate, eyeliner. man. He does look like a pirate. He looks so badass in this scene. So cool. Great Love role. It. And so he's like ducking and dodging and all of this stuff is going on. This one guy who's like on fire runs up to him and he like pushes him away. Pushes him off. Yes. He grabs a sword that's sticking out of another guy and starts cutting people down. And he gets knocked to the ground. And right at that moment, Drogon comes swooping through the smoke, Mm. roasting a pathway with dragon fire right by Bronn, who narrowly avoids being nailed by the dragon fire. And he's just like, this is fucking crazy. I've got to get to that scorpion. ASAP. And so this, this Dothraki guy is like tracking him and trying to track him down and follow him and chase him. And he sees him, sees Bronn run over to this tent and go inside. So he jumps up on the platform and opens up the curtains of the tent and Bronn's standing there behind the scorpion, which is aimed right at him. And he just thrum unleashes that big ass spear bolt. And it just impales this guy and launches him back into another tent. It's just like that guy on top of the wall when he gets hit with a giant arrow. Goes flying through the air. Same type thing. Whistling through the air. Yeah. (laughs) So he just nails this guy with a scorpion bolt. And then he hits some lever or something and the tent just like (laughs) collapses around. And it's like a cool device. um, Contraption that whole thing is. So cool. And I found it very interesting they had the scorpion with them. Yeah. It's they, not in the right. red keep anymore. It's 
being deployed out for these missions. And I'm just sure in there's case. dozens more of these things being made, but this is really nice. Like it swivels and it gets all these different angles and like Kyburn did a really good job designing this thing, right? Truly. Definitely. Yeah. So Braun is, is doing his thing here. He's getting it all set up and he's looking around trying to find, where are trying you? to find Drogon. Where is you motherfucker? Where is this bastard? And, um, there are these two big cogs with like these levers sticking out and he's pulling on them, getting the, uh, the next arrow loaded up and the, the string drawn it must take a lot of force to launch something that big, that far, that fast, you know? So yeah, they have, he has like those big wheels that he has to turn right, to that's like, that's what I was talking about. He's like cranking them. And, uh, and so he, uh, He's looking up and he's trying to line up a shot and he's like, where are you? And Drogon's flying all around. And at this point, Tyrion walks up to the edge of the battlefield overlooking a crest with some Dothraki guards and he sees the madness unfolding and he sees Drogon just lighting up people and flying around and just massive flame, like a giant flamethrower just cruising all around. He can see the Lannisters being slaughtered is like his people's army, you know, his family's army. And the Dothraki guy is like, your people can't fight in Dothraki. <laughs> and Tyrion is, <laughs> Tyrion is watching the carnage and shock. And a sad version of Reigns of Castamere is, is playing as Tyrion is looking devastated, kind of watching the Lannister army being destroyed. And I'm and he thinking, sees Jamie. Yeah, well, not quite yet, but I'm thinking, man, is he having second thoughts about backing Danny at this moment? Oh, damn. You know, like he's seeing his family's army being destroyed and uh, like witnessing the horror of the dragon fire, essentially. So like we're seeing all of this chaos. Jamie now we're seeing from his perspective down on the battlefield and all of this just madness around him. People are pulling off their helmets and it's like it's like um, RoboCop after that guy gets dunked in acid. They're just like faces are melting all over the place and they're like trying to crawl to the river to cool off. And they're ripping their helmets off and their faces are all burned to shit. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Drogon and Danny are flying now over the river super low and we're getting that like hydrofoil like that that effect on the surface of the water as the air hits it in his in his wake that's my one of my favorite scenes so cool. It's like oh my god. Yeah, we get that with X-Wings in Star Wars too. We also, so we get it kind of from an aerial shot where we see Drogon fly over the camera angle and the, the water kind of splitting, but then we get another angle facing Drogon. And I just, so cool. That, oh my God, it like creates like straight up wake, like a boat would. Yeah, exactly. And like all these angles of the camera with Danny riding Drogon are all fantastic in this scene. Like the view of Drogon flying and we see what he's looking at in front of him as he approaches it. And you see the little tendrils on his back, like, like waving through the air as with the the air rushes past. So cool. And they fly near Jamie and Jamie's like, take cover, like telling the, he's, he basically sees at this point. I think he's finally, yeah, I think he's yeah. finally realizing in this Futile. moment, like watching this destruction that the battle is over. was lost yeah. before it even, even started. Began. And we just need to survive. Right. He's just like, run, like, stop fighting. Just take, take cover. Like, don't even, don't even try. It's not going to happen. Right. The only, the only hope we have is Braun with a scorpion at this point totally. because we're fucked. And Drogon flies right past him and just roasts all these people right near him. And it cuts to another angle and the wind blows and we see them just disintegrating. 
Isn't it Drogon's, the wind that Drogon is creating that blows the people's ashes? Yeah, probably. <laughs> he flies, I think swoops it is. Through just, I think it's like the swoop of his wing oh that does my God, it. It's and it so just insane. blows these people into the wind, essentially. Yeah, the people in the center of his blast are just like instantly incinerated and turned to ash, just frozen in position. And then, yeah, the, the burst of air from his wings and they just explode into nothing and just disintegrate. So crazy. And so it, it cuts back to, to Bronn and he's, he's trying to find a good shot on Drogon still. And he sees him flying down towards the army and Drogon's just dive bombing again. And he's like, there he is. And he pulls that lever and launches a bolt bolt and Daenerys mm-hmm. is riding and it just whoom, sails right past Drogon's like, shoulder. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, oh shit. And he's scrambling to reload and he's looking super badass as that thing is like the scorpions like swinging around and he's like swinging yeah. with it. And he's like his eyeliner, like you said, he looks like a pirate with his like leather on and just the smoke in the background. And he just looks so rugged, super badass totally. with his wicked weapon. He gets he always gets to do use the cool weapons like the fire arrow to set the black water ablaze or here mm-hmm. getting to use the scorpion. He gets like the. The crazy job. Honorary weapons positions. Yeah. yeah. And so he's reloading and Danny and Drogon circle around again and and start to dive. And he's like, come on, you fucker. And it cuts to <laughs> Danny. And she's like, Dracaris. And right as he's about to shoot fire again, Bronn pulls the trigger and launches an arrow with this massive spear. And Drogon is hit hits him right in the shoulder. Oh, that sound. Ugh. He screeches and starts barrel rolling through the air. And Danny and I was is like, no. Yeah. I thought he died we, when I first watched it. I was like, oh my God. Like, oh how is God, Danny going to no. survive this? Yeah. And like, yeah, she could have died too. And Tyrion is watching from the cliffside. He's like, oh my God. He gasps. And I gasp. And Drogon is barrel rolling. (laughs) The whole world's heart skipped a beat. Totally. Drogon's barrel rolling through the air and it cuts to Danny's perspective and she's just gripping for dear life. And like you said, like his little scales, they're like going even faster now because he's kind of like um, nose diving, if you will, down to the earth. Oh man. And he, he regains his composure after like taking a second to get get his shit together and starts flapping his wings again. He's still strong enough, even though that thing is still stuck in him, that big ass bolt and he's flapping his wings and he comes to a hover right by where that fucking scorpion is. And he just, and now he's Danny's so mad. Even he's more like pissed than before. Yeah. And she, and he sees that thing that just wounded him and he's like, fuck, fuck you. <laughs> Launches fire at it and just fucking roasts the scorpion and Bron dives away. And Drogon, he's so lucky to have oh, not yeah. been roasted there. Right, Drogon took his anger out on the scorpion instead of the guy operating it, <laughs> saving Bronn's life. And Drogon lands to the ground, hurt, and, uh, and he's like, Ur, and like looks back at that at and the he scorpion, the scorpion yes, with his tail, finishing he's like, the job, <laughs> smashes it like fuck you. <laughs> and Danny instinctively dismounts to pull out the spear like she did at, help her, her right child. just like at Daznak's pit where she had to pull the spear out from him and help him there and she, and she climbs down deep. yeah it is she's and I'm, having trouble yeah and i'm just thinking oh my god like you knew you were entering battle and you didn't have any fucking armor built for yourself or anything like she's got <laughs> nothing on like a regular old jacket 
no, no helmet, fucking helm, no, no, no plate. plate, no mail, not even leather. We're not even leather. And she's pulling out this thing and just a sitting duck. And Jamie sees her climb down and sees the spear sticking out of Drogon. And he's like, he's like a football field away, just watching. And he sees, he looks down and sees a spear sticking out of a dead guy on the field next to him. And Tyrion is watching all, all of this from the bluff. He's like, Oh my God, don't do it. Yeah. He knows what Jamie's going to do even before Jamie puts it together. Right. He's like, flee you, you idiot. idiot. And Oh my God, it, it's, uh, it's, he doesn't want to see his brother die. Right. I think that if Jamie died here, Tyrion may have lost, like fallen out with Daenerys. I think it would be you too much. So? I think it may be too much if too may have been too much if Jamie died here. I don't know. Cause he's already like, seems to be conflicted, you know, just like flee you idiot. And this is like the moment of truth as Jamie accepts his fate and knows what he must attempt to do. He puts it all in the line here in a Hail Mary to try to end the war in one fell swoop, mm. taking his jousting experience from the tourneys of, of his day and, and makeshifting a joust with a spear that he picks up. He rides forward and... Come on, boy. Yeah, grabs the spear and swings it around in one motion with his left hand and gets it into a into a position pointing forward. And that must feel awkward for him because I'm sure he's never practiced jousting with, with his left. left hand before. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of the story of the Czechy lion. The little lion, I believe. Are you familiar with this? No, I'm not. So, Jamie... The, the the golden lion here, the white lion charging f- towards Drogon in an, an attempt to win the war. And even if it costs him his own life, it reminded me of the story that we learn in The Sworn Sword, the second tale of Duncan Egg, a story about a guy named Sir Wilbert Osgray, who was known as the Little Lion. He was a knight of the House Osgray during the reign of Giles III, Gardener of Highgarden, before the seven, like while the Seven Kingdoms were the Seven Kingdoms, you know what I mean? Before the conquest of Aegon. And he was the youngest of five brothers who earned the, the name the Little Lion in honor of the Checky Lion sigil of House Osgray. It's like a, a lion with checker pattern on it. And he uh, he ended up growing up to be a, a, a valiant knight. And when the King of the Reach was battling the Storm King in the east, the King of the Rock, Lancel IV Lannister, attempted to cut out the pe- a piece of the Reach for himself. Oh, damn. And it fell to the little lion, Wilbert, to stop him with his older brothers off in the east with the king. It, he was the only person left who had to try to stop this himself. And during the battle, as Lancel IV was trying to take over the Osgrey territory, basically, this area of the Reach, Wilbert, the little lion, came face to face with the King of the Rock. The king had a Valyrian steel sword, Bright Roar, the ancestral sword of House Lannister, and chopped the little lion to bits. But as Wilbert was dying, he drove his dagger deep into the gap in the king's armor and killed him. And the Westerlander, the Westerlander army collapsed and the reach was saved. So oh, this, this figure, the little lion, put his life on the line and charged the, the opposing ruler in an attempt to end this conquest of his home area and saved the day. And like, like the little lion, now the white lion, Jamie Lannister of a different family, but represented by a lion nonetheless, is trying to pull off a similar 
um, a similar Hail Mary type sacrifice of himself to save the day. But right before he's able to do it, (laughs) he's riding up, riding up on Drogon and getting closer and closer. And Tyrion's watching from the, the hill. You idiot. You fucking idiot. Fucking idiot. So mad. He can't bear to watch Jamie riding to his death here. Certain doom. There's no way. Oh, there's no way this is going to happen. Yeah. And, and Danny hears him coming, the, the galloping of the hooves and turns. She lets go of the spear and turns to, to see him. And she kind of steps back into Drogon. Yeah. Too. She kind of like she moves takes into a step. his protection. Yeah. She leans back towards Drogon and Drogon's long ass neck comes curling around her and comes right in between Danny and, and Jamie and, He's, it's like all of a sudden, from Jamie's perspective, this giant dragon face just fills his whole view. He's riding like right into the mouth of the dragon. Yeah, and he opens up his mouth and you see the flames start to form in his throat. And right at the last second, the last possible second, as Drogon sends a, a gout of fire flaming out of his mouth to incinerate the Kingslayer as he's attempting to slay the queen. You know, like, who do you, who do you think he was trying to hit here? I think he was trying to joust Danny, or do you think he was trying to take out Drogon? No, I think he was trying to kill Danny. Yeah, because there's no way he could kill Drogon. No, 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 not with that small of a spear. If if the scorpion spear that hit him already didn't take him out, right? That little pull isn't going to do shit. So this is at least his chance to take out Danny, the opposing queen. And right as is like the last second, Drogon shoots fire and Bronn comes out of fucking nowhere and tackles Jamie off their off his horse. And both of their horses just get incinerated. They like fall backwards. That That's how much power comes out of Drogon's mouth. It's not just the fire. It's the force of the fire behind right. it. it- Knocks two thousand pound animals off its feet. Jesus, yeah, and the 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 force with which Bron hit Jamie sends them both flying outwards into the middle of the fucking Blackwater Rush here into the river, and like and Jamie's in full plate armor. Full plate so armor. Oh man, you don't want to fall into water. Out of that. Yeah, you do not want to fall into water like this. Holy shit! And he's just sinking it. There's a mm, couple great shots. I thought shots. Jamie died. Yeah, the first time I was, I looked at Dave. I was like, he's dead. And it totally mirrors the way that Tyrion fell into the water and got dragged under by the dragged stone. Down. Oh damn! I didn't even think about that. That's yeah. awesome. Except in 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 that episode, it doesn't end with Tyrion almost drowning. It's <laughs> remember it. It ends with a, a scene after that, like Tyrion waking up on the shore with Jorah. Whereas here, it leaves us hanging just like it does in the book with Tyrion when, like I mentioned before, the chapter ends with Tyrion seemingly drowning. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. And you guys didn't know, the yeah. book readers didn't know if he survived. So they splash into the water and we get a cool underwater shot of he, him and Bronn both like Sinking splashing in. Yeah, sinking downwards. And then it cuts to another shot looking downwards at Jamie as he's sinking deeper and deeper Alone. into the murky, gloomy, dark, deep depths. And um, he's not even moving, interestingly. He's like in shock or something. He's just, his limbs are just like dangling as he goes I think goes he deeper feels heavy. Deeper. I don't think, I think he knows that even if he tries to struggle, there's, he's in full plate armor in water. Like yeah. metal doesn't float. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it sucks surrenders he's surrendering so yeah super intense scene one of our listeners points out how it parallels and looks just like bran falling from the window too good catch oh 
And that's the, that's it. That's the end of the episode. We're left there to wonder. It's amazing though, how just how deep that river gets from like right at the shore where he was to like two feet in. It's so yeah. deep. <laughs> Super deep. That was like a continuity problem that people had with this episode was just how ridiculously deep it got so insanely fast. Some rivers can be that way though. I mean, I've stepped into rivers up in the Pacific Northwest. Like you see the bank and like a foot in, you're like four or five feet down. Mm. You know, it just, it depends on how fast the river moves. Um, I, the school, my college that I went to was right by the Willamette river, the Willamette in certain areas we would float all the time. And there was a pretty big drop off because it's a fast moving river. Right. So it just cuts out the ground. Lots of erosion. Yeah. Gotcha. So, uh, yeah, that, that's pretty much it for the episode. Anything nice. else you want to add about this amazing episode? Oh God. It's, it's my favorite, by far my favorite battle scene. Nice. Battle sequence. I, I love Battle of the Bastards. I love the battle at the wall. Um, Blackwater obviously was beautiful with the explosion of wildfire, but this was something really special cinematically. Definitely. Very unique vibe. Like you said, the old timey battle with uh, the addition of like a flying... <laughs> <laughs> machine essentially yeah like a, like a f-16 <laughs> like you said it's so cool man yeah it's truly it's truly amazing i can't speak highly enough of this the graphics are just so good and the, yeah like the so shots real. Of, from like, drogon's back drogon man. doesn't exist in real life and he looks like a real life creature yeah it's, it's how do you get any better than that? I mean, amazing. I'm sure in 20 years we'll look back and laugh and be like, oh my God, the CGI was so crappy. <laughs> <laughs> but truly, I'm not sure how you can get much more realistic from a fictional uh, creature than what yeah. Game of Thrones has done with those dragons. I'm totally. not really sure how much better you can do. If if we if we're like so, so privileged in the future that we can't still appreciate how this looks and we don't deserve it in the future you know like bitch slap future us for being like hey, laughing at this yes absolutely all right that uh anything else you want to add no yeah i think I'm that good. i think that pretty much wraps it up for me too all right guys stick with us stick with us for a minute we'll be right back after a short break i'm going to change it up today a little bit and instead of playing some music i'm going to tell you guys a little about a little project that my friend t mage is working on he's not paying me to play this nobody's paying me or anything like that i just thought this was awesome and wanted to share it with you guys i know you all appreciate the beauty of the landscapes and the amazing locations that game of thrones films in or shoots in and my friend t mage has put together a documentary chronicling his journeys around some really really epic places and cool landscapes around the u.s so i figured if anybody would appreciate the aesthetics and the beauty that mage is is providing here with his work it would be game of thrones fans who are who love and appreciate the amazing environments of that show so i asked mage to put together a promo for his his project so that you guys could hear a little bit about it it's all original content. I mean, he even makes the music himself and it's awesome. And we're not asking you to buy anything either. This is just free on YouTube to check out. Without any further ado, my partner in rhyme, T-Mage. I've traveled to a bunch of random places and random countries. But as a Midwestern guy, I recently have been falling in love with what the more rugged parts of America have to offer to all of us before they're gone. T-Mage Productions and Powers Media House presents Beautiful America, a musical documentary series with all original content. 
explore the southwest of America and indulge in some places you've heard of and plenty more that you certainly have not. Cooking under the stars and below freezing temps of Death Valley. 4K drone footage of one of the most insane monoliths on Earth. Driving in abandoned mines, cliffs, canyons, and wild times. Check it out. T-Mage Productions on Facebook and YouTube. That's T-E-A-M-A-G-E Productions. Beautiful America. And we're back with Game of Thrones and Raven's Calls. <laughs> we're going to skip news and, and um, history this week because the episodes are just getting so epic and we're just trying to stay on track with the, uh, the rewatch finishing up before the premiere of season eight and everything. So we're, we're gonna- really just trying to cover the episodes in detail and we'd rather cover the episode in detail um, than skimp on the, the epicness of the show. Yeah, totally. So let's move on to Raven's calls. Hear that? What was that? <laughs> Sir Matthew of House Rep. Bran turns the cat's paw dagger over to Arya the same way Jamie gives Oathkeeper to Brienne. Such a Arr. fine weapon would be wasted on a cripple. Oh, great parallel. Yeah, I didn't even realize I wish Bran, that. I, Bran probably wishes he had it north of the wall, though, when that white walker was climbing all over him in that cart. Yeah, totally. Definitely. I love how nobody believes Arya when she talks about her list and wanting to kill Cersei. First, the Lannister soldiers laugh at her and then Sansa. Sansa stops laughing after seeing Arya and Brienne spar in the courtyard. <laughs> nice. Mira obviously once wanted Bran to ask her to stay and that he needed her. I hope we see her and her father next season as Greywater Watch and the Cranogs in general are a natural choke point for any army invading the north. Yeah, maybe it won't be until they're forced south more that they, we end up running into Mira and, and um, Howland. Oh, that's true. Good point. Yeah, very good point. Cersei teases the introduction to the Golden Company. I truly hope we see the full extent of their army, including the war elephants, in Season 8. I don't know if Cersei should have trusted Euron with the contract and the payment. How do we know he didn't alter it to make the loyal, to make the army loyal to him instead of Cersei? Ooh. Good question. And yeah, war elephants would be so cool. I want krakens, dragons, direwolves, war elephants, spiders. you name it. Ice spiders. Yeah. Get it all. Direwolves. Exactly. Maybe even some grumpkins. And snarks. Yeah. Fuck it. Lady Lori of House Perkins. Man, oh man, what an episode. The Spoils of War is in my top five favorite episodes for sure. Oh, yeah. I have affectionately nicknamed this episode... The one where I forgot to breathe. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> totally. Where does one even start with this episode? Let's start at Winterfell. Arya comes home. Yay. That shot of her on the hill overlooking Winterfell while the Stark theme played in the background gave me all the feels. All of them. Three Stark children under one roof. Yes, finally. Mm-hmm. Littlefinger and Bran. Chaos is a ladder. Super creepy. Bran is the one thing that Littlefinger couldn't plan for. He couldn't see him coming. If he had been smart, he would have left Winterfell immediately after that. Yep. We'll get to that next episode. (laughs) (laughs) Stay tuned on that. Yeah. To this day, I'm not sure why he felt the need to give the cat's paw dagger to Bran. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that. 
Yeah, I think it was just I to get in his good graces because he thought he was Lord of Winterfell. Lord of Winterfell, yeah. Yeah. I can only speculate that it will come to mean something very important in the next season. Mira Reed was was right. Bran died in that cave. He's no longer the Brandon Stark we all know and love. No emotion, no regret. She was so broken and beaten down, and all she needed was for Bran to feel with her, to acknowledge her mourning, and he couldn't. Ugh, that scene was so hard to watch. Totally. I, yeah, it really was. She deserved better, you know? Definitely. More. They all did. Everyone that died for Bran deserved more in that moment. Yeah. The fight scene between Arya and Brienne is one of my favorite scenes of the entire show so far. They are two completely different women with two different fighting styles, and yet they matched up perfectly. Totally. I loved how the Faceless Man music started playing at the end, right oh. after Arya's epic flip back up to her feet. Brienne and Arya are such badasses. Damn, I missed the music. I'll have to pay more attention to that next time. I do like the what um, she says here is the, juxt- the juxtaposition between Arya and Brienne. Like, Arya's super short and Brienne's super tall, and they have yep. very different fighting styles, but their choreography was so well done. Amazingly done. Now moving on to the loot train battle. It was so intense and terrifying. Never before was I so torn on which side to root for. Yep, that's Ugh. exactly how I felt, too. Right. Tyrion and Danny against Braun and Jamie. How can anyone choose a side with that group? I absolutely love the battle. I think that some people may think that it was kind of a cop out that no major characters died in this episode. Oh, you think? I bet. Right. That, that could be seen that way. Maybe like Braun or someone, but he might have. We'll see. He might have an important role to play. Drogon lived. Tyrion lived. Danny lived. Jamie everybody lived, lived. Bron lived. Yeah, everybody, everybody lived. <laughs> good. That's that's a good call. It definitely out of character for Game big of Thrones. Battles. Yeah. yeah, I absolutely loved how the battle was fought from Jamie's point of view. It made us more empathetic towards him. When naturally we would have leaned more towards Danny. Mm, good point. Good point. We see everything from the definitely. ground the ground view of the Lannister team. Yeah, and Tyrion was seeing and feeling everything we as a viewer were seeing and feeling. It made the emotions of the battle all more complex. The music had such a Cowboys versus Indians vibe to it that it was really interesting and different. Hmm. Ramin Jawadi also does the music for Westworld. So no shock there. Yeah. I Damn. Westworld music is legit. It's super good. Different, different than Game of Thrones, but you can tell it's him. I got to watch Westworld. The man is a musical genius. I couldn't agree more. Yep. That shot of the Dothraki soldiers jumping on their horses in unison. Holy shit. So epic. So epic. Um, Rachel, I'm so excited to hear your thoughts on the horses in this episode. I, yeah, my hat is off. If those are true stuntmen riding those horses with one foot on the saddle and one foot in the stirrup shooting bows with no reins, that's. Quite an accomplishment. Bravo, for sure. Definitely. And, you know, just to comment, I never like to see horses die. So battle scenes like this always hurt a little bit, but at least, you know, it's not real, though. Yeah, it's not real, but it's still hard to watch. For sure. For sure. Robert Baratheon was right. Only a fool would meet the Dothraki in an open field. Uh, There you go. Perfect. Perfect Yes. Thank you. 
Drogon just annihilated everything in his path and it, and damn, he's huge. It's monstrous. I remember pleading, please don't let Bronn kill him the first time I watched it. Me I was too. almost in tears when I thought Drogon was injured. Oh, me too. Then I was terrified for Danny, then terrified for Jamie. So many emotions all in such a short time. This is one episode I wish I had videotaped my reactions <laughs> to. Oh, me too. Maybe I'll, oh, maybe we should do that. <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking we could <laughs> release like eight. our reactions to like certain moments. Yeah, set up like a our phones to just watch our re- reactions, and then you can cut and paste them together. Yeah, I could put the um, like what we're actually watching on screen too. That'd be cool, mm-hmm. and have that playing while we podcast. Um, for YouTube. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! Like we could, we could release separate reaction videos on YouTube. Totally. So many other me- epic moments in this episode that I want to comment on, but I'm afraid I'll write a book. <laughs> it's okay. We love your feedback <laughs> totally. right right away. This one was phenomenal from beginning to end. Very well written. Very well directed. Agreed. The stunt work was incredible. Mad props to all those stuntmen that were set on fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right? I didn't even think about that. Oh, man. There was one great one, too, where this guy's on fire and he just collapses onto this structure that's right oh, in yeah, front of him. Oh, yeah, and kind of falls. Yeah, and then just stops dies. right onto it. Oh, it's so cool. Oh, if you have the time, watch the behind the scenes for this episode and see what all went into the 11 minutes and 59 seconds of screen time. Damn. I can't wait for this podcast. Keep up the great work, guys. Season eight is just a few weeks away. Oh, oh so, so excited. <laughs> Yeah, great feedback. Loved uh, loved everything you said there. Yes, thank you, Lady Lori. And I I do remember watching something about the behind the scenes for this battle and the amount of people that they had on fire. I think it was like the most people, most stuntmen on fire simultaneously on a set on screen, like ever at once or something like that. Oh damn! I can't that's remember. Any speci- I can't remember exactly, but maybe we'll try to post the inside the episode uh, thing or something. So check our Facebook page. Man, so cool. Sir Patrick of Hindsight, the subterranean cavern walls below Dragonstone are covered with petroglyphs that suspiciously resemble famous hollow earth diagrams from history, particularly those of John Cleves Sims and Edmund Halley. I imagine that during the long night, humans, the children, and giants alike had to take refuge in subterranean caves like these. I'll bet we see similar carvings deep within the crypts below Winterfell. They were probably in the catacombs deep below the stony sept, and I'd wager they once existed deep within the mines below Casterly Rock. I wouldn't be surprised if all of these places are somehow connected via a vast network of caverns and tunnels. That would be cool. I love oh, tunnels fuck. and caverns. There's uh, stories about huge tunnel networks like this existing throughout like the Amazon too, leading to the lost city of Z and whatnot. Worth looking into. Um, Oregon State has catacombs underneath all the roads. Nice. And Oregon oh, State yeah, is said Portland. to be haunted because Ted Bundy killed a girl in the catacombs at Oregon State. Oh, interesting. 
they seal them all off. There's, if you go down into the basements of all the dorm rooms, into the basement, there's a door to the catacombs and they're all sealed off. Damn, that's hardcore. There's also a bunch of underground catacombs in Portland, Oregon um, yep. that were uh, involved the with the Shanghai operations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Great episode of Cities of the Underworld where they cover that, go down in the tunnels and show all about ghost that. Ghost Adventures does one too. Nice. If you're into ghost yeah, adventures, there's tours that you can go on of those um, nowadays too. Um, Sir Patrick continues, Jamie either jumps into Blackwater Rush or Blackwater Bay. In either case, it's salt water. Jamie, Jamie seemingly defies certain death amidst salt and smoke. (gasps) Azora High confirmed. (laughs) I can't say, but one thing I'm certain of anytime the writing on this show appears bad or lazy at first glance, there's actually something sneaky and clever going on. If you examine it closer. Well, if that's the case, then help explain the sand snakes to me, Sir Patrick, please. (laughs) Aside from that, though, I agree. We we can let the sand snakes slide. (laughs) This show is just so epic. Totally. And they're so amazing in the books. It's too bad that they did it, but. Yeah. I mean, they did the best that they could. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Lady Sarah of House Larkham. What an action packed episode. Oh, yeah. Bran receiving the sword. That was used to make an attempt on his life in season one, episode two. And Bran saying back to Littlefinger, chaos is a ladder, giving Littlefinger the creeps. <laughs> he totally got the creeps for sure. Oh, yeah. Arya fooling the guards, calling back to season one, episode five, when she was training with Sirio and following the cat and got lost in the dungeons. And after hearing Varys and Illyrio immediately going to Ned but is stopped by the two gold cloaks. Oh, I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that's why she ended up outside of King's landing because she had had to escape through like the secret tunnels, uh, the secret tunnels. Yeah. Sansa and Arya reuniting since the day that Ned was executed. The loot train battle is mirroring when Robert said to Cersei, only a fool would meet the Dothraki on the battlefield. There you go. Two of our listeners Caught that. Yeah, good good call, guys. When Jamie is in the water, he is falling like Bran was falling when he was pushed out the castle wall. Oh fuck, I didn't even realize. Oh, that. that's hilarious. That's this <gasps> Crazy. totally Yeah, they're like exactly the same position. Really good catch, Lady Sarah. That's, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Damn. Thank you for writing in. Yeah, always good to hear from you. Lord Chris of House Saywell. He's <laughs> he, he has a picture of a regular lake. Where it it's <laughs> it shows like somebody on a horseback on the side, and it the, the slope of the the shore gradually gets deeper and deeper, <laughs> yeah. and then it <laughs> then That's it says true for a, a lake, but I think this is a river. Oh yeah, yeah, it's the yeah the Blackwater Black Rush. Rush is a is a river. Yep, and then it, this below pic this picture below says Game of Thrones Lake, and it's just like a cliff, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like a ninety the, degree. Angle. Yeah, it goes from like like a couple inches of water to like forty feet of water. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. And uh, he says, the Mariana Trench Lake. <laughs> All right. The Mariana Trench. <laughs> yeah. Lots of laughing emojis. Totally. <laughs> it's true that that the Blackwater, where he falls in, got deep so fast. It's like ridiculous. He falls into like a vast expanse of water in every direction. There's no hint that the shore was like two feet away from him. <laughs> ridiculous. Totally. Hilarious, though. Next, we have an email from Lord Jeremiah of House Carpenter. 
Greetings from Lord Jeremiah of House Carpenter, The Level. Oh, I love that title. That's great. (laughs) First of all, I love the podcast. You have such a great dynamic, and I appreciate how much time you give to each episode. Thanks. It's so gratifying that you're not trying to cram everything into an hour or two and just let it be what it is. I found the podcast well after the rewatch started, and it it has taken me some time to catch up since I wanted to listen to every episode. My job lets me listen to audio media freely, so I've consumed sometimes three or more in a day. Wow, that's hardcore. Thanks, man. I also stopped to re-listen to the books when I got through some of the Still Smug episodes, which took a couple of weeks. I'd hoped to get this in before episode 100, but here it is. My theories about Arya and the Faceless Men. In episode in season two, episode ten, Valar Morgulis, when Jack and Hagar offers Arya the coin of the faceless men, he tells her, A girl has many names on her lips Joffrey, Cersei, Tywin Lannister, Illin Payne, the Hound, names to offer up to the Red God. She could offer them all one by one. This, this gave, gave the, me the idea this for gave my me theory. the main idea for my theory. Why would he tell her that he would train her to get her revenge if she is supposed to let that go? become no one in order to join them what is his purpose and why do the faceless men accept her without having to become no one in the house of black and white Jockin tells Arya the story of how the faceless men came to be they began in the mines of valyria when a man began answering the prayers of slaves by killing their overseers eventually he had to train others and a revolution occurred Arya has prayed for the deaths on her list literally every night for several months. They have heard, perhaps by some magic at this point in time, or because Jockin just happened to overhear her on the road. Although, I don't think he was there by accident. How did a faceless man of his caliber get captured? He seems to be in charge of training novices, or is possibly the head of the order. Also, he asked her to set him free and then said she owed the many-faced god for doing it. Seems like a ploy to stick around and help her escape. So why not kill the people on her list for her? Why let the waif try to kill her? And why doesn't she have to be no one? There are probably a few reasons to train her to kill her own targets. One is that she already demonstrated her skill and ability. Another is that she is flat broke. Despite being born of a great noble house, they are in ruin at this point, and she is on the run for her life. There may also be some magic or power in the intensity of her prayer. I would imagine few develop that strong of a drive to get their revenge. I think they let the waif go after her as part of the whole death-must-pay-for-life deal. Perhaps one novice must kill another in order to become a faceless man. Maybe he knew Arya would win, and he thought the waif was unable to advance in her training. She had been showing clear signs that she has some sort of vendetta or malice towards Arya. Jockin could possibly see that as tending towards sadism, and my sense is the Order doesn't want psychopaths. Her chasing Arya through the street and brutally killing Lady Crane helps show her unworthiness. Good call. My guess to the last is that it's just kind of an expression. Not really that they are, quote, no one all the time, merely that they are ready to inhabit the mind and body of the face they wear by mastering some technique or mental trick or even magic. Jockin isn't stupid, and the faceless men are likely very well informed. He probably knew Arya would try to kill Marin Trent. I think he punished her for being too obvious. The faceless men are supposed to kill unseen. He sent her to kill Lady Crane, knowing that her training was done, that seeing the play would spur Arya into carrying out her revenge. I also think that letting her get her revenge may be the final act she must do to become a faceless man in truth. 
Arya doesn't have much to look forward to after she has finished her list. She likely won't inherit Winterfell, and she isn't interested in marriage. Arya may very well choose to return to the House of Black and White when it's all over, having nothing else driving her life. As to how Arya heals so fast, I think it's due to how time translates onto film. It's hard to portray how much time is actually passing without being super obvious or clunky. D&D have said that events on film are not always in order, and what seems like the next day could be a couple of weeks. For instance, the time trip to Winterfell from Winterfell to King's Landing with King Robert supposedly takes the better part of a year. It's possible that Arya has been tended by Lady Crane for longer than it seems to us. That's it. Hope you like it. Keep up the great work. P.S. Duncan, where can we find your music? Do you have it available for download or purchase? Um, I can send you any of my music that you'd like. Um, I guess I'll email you back and we can figure it out and I'll just send you what I have. If anybody else wants any of my music, just uh, feel free to email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com, and I'm happy to send it over. Thanks for your email. Great to hear from you. Lord Jeremiah of House Carpenter, The Level. Thanks for writing in, guys. Yeah, thank you. All right, that's our show, episode 106. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yes, thank you guys. We're almost there. We're almost caught up. Can't yeah. wait for season eight to start. Totally, we're almost there. And a huge thank you to John Bailey, the epic voice guy from the Emmy-nominated Honest Trailers, for announcing our show. If you'd like to donate or subscribe to support us, you can go to paypal.me slash gompodcast or patreon.com slash gompodcast to donate an amount of your choosing. There are links to both at gameofmicrophones.com. Doing some online shopping? Go to gameofmicrophones.com and click on our link to Amazon. As an Amazon associate, we earn from qualifying purchases. Any contribution you make helps, and you can help secure the continued existence of Game of Microphones. We'd like to thank our patrons, Sir Matthew of House Rep, Lady Lucy of House Roberts, Lady Candace of House Twos, Lady Terry of House Theodore, Lord Jeff of House Allen, Sirenicide, Lord John of House Grills, and Luke the Low Duke. Thank you guys so much for your support. We appreciate your patronage. And another big thank you to Lord Bryson of House Wolf as well. Seven blessings. Seven blessings. And make sure to check out Sirenicide, the serialized horror drama podcast featuring me and Archmaster Stitches. Go to Sirenicide.com and download it wherever you get your podcasts. We also want to give a huge thank you to Lady Lisa of House Sky, High Romancer. She is essential behind the scenes working to get our website Game of Microphones up and running. She's a first class artist. You got to check out her illustrated book, The People You May See, available now on Amazon.com. It's prime eligible too. And I tell you, your kids will love it. It's such a great educational book. The illustrations are amazing. You got to check her work out. You can see all of her work at fineartsbylisa.com or on Instagram and Facebook slash fineartsbylisa. And since we were just talking about Oregon, if you guys are in the Oregon area, <laughs> the Oregon area, if you guys are anywhere near Milwaukee, Oregon, which is kind of by Portland, yeah, go check out Lord Travis's new meadery, Weird Leather and Meadery. And uh, you can find them at weirdleatherandmead.com. Weird spelled W Y R D. I plan to stop by there when next time up I'm up in Oregon. Fuck yeah, I want to go too. Next episode we'll be covering season seven, episode five, East Watch. 
give it a watch, and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on air. If you'd like to call, you can call us at 813-JOFFREY. That's 813-563-3739. If you would like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast. Dragon Tales Lab. You can also listen to Game of Microphones on YouTube, <laughs> BitChute, and Steemit. Just search for Game of Microphones to find our channel. Likes, comments, and shares are appreciated. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Minds at GOM Podcast. And we're on Tumblr, too, at Game of Microphones. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. Come on, you fucker. Dracaris. It's really the first time that we have two principal characters going at each other on opposite sides of the battlefield. Oh, man, that's true. That's pretty insane. And it's kind of like hard to want either one of them to succeed or fail. Right, right, right. Like you're, I've come you don't to want, love Jamie, you right, know? Yeah. And Bronn's with him and you don't want Drogon to kill Bronn, but you also don't want Bronn to kill Drogon. And it's like, oh man. And you don't want Jamie to kill Danny and you don't want Drogon to kill Jamie. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. little fingers trying to smoo- schmooze with Brand, but he just has no idea what he's getting himself into. <laughs> he would have been um, better off to just keep himself far Stay and far away, away. Yeah, out of Brand's mind because uh, <laughs> his proximity and his interest almost certainly resulted in Bran reviewing his timeline, basically, you could say. So I think Baelish is going through that exact, you know, line of thinking where he's like, maybe he, like, how does he know that? When then he's like, wait, wait, no, he can't know that. But then he's like, wait, the way he was looking at me and the way he said that, he knows. Like, how does he know? You know? And he's like yeah. on the verge of freaking out when the door opens and Mira walks in. To have Baelish look like that and be completely shut down was just like... Right, kind of like the way Varys gets shut down by the, the red priestesses. They can see through the flames and know all this info. And here, exactly. Bran can see through nice the werewolf parallel. and knows all this info. <laughs> and, That's um, a good parallel. Thanks. Yeah, we're Again, kind of, with kind of the ice and fire because yeah, Bran was totally. up in the north and the red priests are fiery. The fire network and the ice network <laughs> like you were saying fire wi-fi <laughs> fire wi-fi i, I live, live here, here. <laughs> fuck off <laughs> i'm not saying that twilight has anything to do with game of thrones but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so when aria says most of them are dead already she's like that's <laughs> a cue to sansa like oh okay well most of them are dead well, i'm still alive so i may still be on the list uh, but I'm, unlikely yeah 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 hilarious so Arya gets the blade and she's super excited about that. And so are we, because it's going to be awesome. My number three is the cave. Yeah. If, if John wants you in a cave with him, you know, you're in, right? And, and Danny's like, girl, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> Many, Many things. things. How romantic Oh my God, that cave. <laughs> John and his caves. Every girl wants John to kneel in a cave. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't think I'll be going to Bermuda. I'd like to come back from my vacations. Uh, oh, yeah. You, what, you, would you just stay there forever? 
the Bermuda Triangle. You oh, disappear oh, when you go there. <laughs> gotcha. Like, how could you not want to just do it? You know, it's just like, fuck. Like, I have, like what we said earlier, I have like three F-15s right. that I can, at my disposal, like, I could just fly in today and just, this would, this could be over. Like, enough with strategy and playing this game. Like, I can wipe the game board off the table. Yeah, exactly. There's, there Break would be the no wheel. game anymore. You know, totally. it would just be over. Game over. I win. Exactly. Everyone around Danny, Danny is expressing have reason. Yep. And little Elena is in her mind saying, don't be listen to them. <laughs> be a dragon. Fire and blood, my dear. <laughs> and so I love the that they pause in this. It's like a great photo, like a photographic image of them, you know, both with their swords at each other's. Yeah. So cool. And they're both smiling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How many men do we have in the North to fight him? 10,000 less. Fewer. (laughs) Yes. Fewer. (laughs) Gotta love that. Right. And John's like, what? And, and Davos just keeps going with the conversation. He doesn't even like, it's such a great, Harken back to Stannis. Hold tight until the war is over, and then you can pick any castle you want. Fucking son of a bitch. Bronn is just getting more and more fed up with this bullshit. Stranger things have happened. Like what? Yeah, Bronn is like snapping back at Jamie. Well, here. he's pissed. He's super, super irritated. Yeah. I would be too. He's justified. Like, Dude, yeah. I want my mo- I want my money. Not cool. He needs to get back by Tyrion's side. Working, you know, working with Tyrion again. If Drogon will forgive him after he shoots him this episode. Oh, <laughs> oh man! As yeah. badly as I want Bronn to team up with Tyrion and everything, that may be an obstacle in the future. Bronn has shot Drogon. So as Baelish leaves, Mira enters and she, she immediately, I love this so much. She immediately notices his chair. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, where was that when I was carrying you around? <laughs> Dragging you through the north. <laughs> oh man, there's a, uh, we, the other, one of our last episodes, I don't remember if it was the one we just did or the one before that, but we we're talking about something in com- download computer brand downloads. And I added like effects to our voice on that part to make us sound like robots. Yeah. Yeah. That was really cool. Oh, you heard it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. Initiate download. <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> so Dickon, I, I would love smell-o-vision cause smell-o-vision. I like to watch. I was just thinking like, Oh man, if, if it stinks like that, just imagine how bad the battle mm. of the bastards much of must've stunk mm. with the bodies piled up and everything like just the shit, like immediately after everybody dies, that's everywhere. And then like in the following days when it's sitting there, like spoiling in the sun, like, Oh my God, can you imagine how ruthless it would have smelled? They must've had people go out and clean it up and like, you know, burn the bodies and shit like how that. How would you like that job? Yeah, that would suck. It, just imagine they say you can smell King's Landing from miles away, right? Olena's yeah. like smells the shit from miles away. You probably smell battles like this from miles away too. Probably, yeah. Ew, gross. Yeah, Danny looks fucking furious too. Mm, riding she's on ready Drogon's to back, fuck some shit up. She looks so mad, and this is like the most mad we've ever heard her say, Dracarys. Dracarys, and we get the. <laughs> Oh, my God.
Yeah. <laughs> and the Lannister soldiers just go up in flames and they start screaming. Everyone's in shock. And this Dickon, not- Dickon just barely avoided not being like being roasted here and looks at him through the flames and his sword is just dangling downwards. His jaw is dangling downwards too. It kind of reminds me of like an extreme version of like tic-tac-toe because of the way like the fire lines just like go straight. That doesn't, they don't really expand. Oh, right, right, like, right. Like it's Dogon's like fire, it's like a single line. And so it's like, you kind of like have to, she was like making like, these long lines streaks like the Nazca lines. Yeah. You could be like on either side of this fire line and survive, but the people like right down the center, you're just incinerated, incinerated. like literally turned to ash almost Dust immediately blowing away in the wind. Oh yeah. We get that a little later on in yeah. the battle and Jamie like so looks epic. away so oh, epic. <laughs> and just like clashing together. Bang. Full force. Just bang, bang. Things just bouncing off each other and colliding oh all over the place. I, I was seriously, like, standing up at this point. I was like, this shit is about to go crazy. <laughs> this is going to be the most epic scene on the planet. Archers! And archers. Danny rides up into the sky, rides way up into the sky, and she keeps doing this, like, riding upwards and then just coming flying down and dive bombing just over and over. It's terrifying. <laughs> it's so amazing. Oh, so you're throwing sticks at a dragon? That's going to... Yeah, really you brought a pebble to a machine gun fight? Yes, exactly. And he just thrum unleashes that big ass spear bolt and it just impales this guy and launches him back oh, into so another bad. tent. It's just like that guy on top of the wall when he gets hit with a giant yes! arrow oh goes flying through the air, same type whistling thing. Whistling through the air. Yeah. <laughs> And he whacks the scorpion with his tail. Finishing like, the job. <laughs> Smashes it like, fuck you. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, oh my God, like you knew you were entering battle and you didn't have any fucking armor built for yourself or anything. Like she's got <laughs> nothing on like a regular old jacket. No, no helmet, fucking helm. No, no, no plate. plate, no mail. Not even leather. We're not even leather. And she's pulling out this thing and just a sitting duck. Wilbert, the little lion, came face to face with the king of the rock. The king had a Valyrian steel sword, Bright Roar, the ancestral sword of House Lannister, and chopped the little lion to bits. But as Wilbert was dying, he drove his dagger deep into the gap in the king's armor and killed him. And the Westerlander, the Westerlander army collapsed and the reach was saved. So oh, this, this figure, the little lion, put his life on the line and charged the, the opposing ruler in an attempt to end this conquest of his home area and save the day. And like, like the little lion, now the white lion, Jamie Lannister of a different family, but represented by a lion, nonetheless is trying to pull off a similar, um, a similar hail Mary type sacrifice of himself to save the day. I want krakens, dragons, direwolves, war elephants, spiders. you name it. Ice spiders. Yeah. Get it all. Direwolves. Exactly. Maybe even some grumpkins. And snarks. Yeah, fuck it. Ridiculous. Totally. Hilarious, though. 